Okay, so we're in part two of Aaron Patricia. My name is Aaron. My name is Patricia. And in this uh, uh, part of the episode, we're going to talk about uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II passing away at the age of 96. Uh, the Ren and Stimpy revival on Comedy Central is under production, under snipple lamination. I'll tell you about that. Uh, Danny Phantom, a glitch in time graphic novel, will be released in July of 2023. Uh, Big Star's Wally is the first Disney film to enter into a uh, creation collection uh, with a 4K Blu-ray. I'll tell you about that. Uh, Illumination's uh, Mario movie has been pushed back to spring of 2023 uh we're going to give you our post thoughts on uh, ice age dawn of the dinosaurs um voice actor candy milo who's releasing her autobiography uh, surviving the odds this october uh disney channel's uh chibi verse had a lumity short we'll tell you about that too uh trailers of the bleach a uh, thousand year blood war uh, the final arc of the bleach game uh the newest uh, disney live action remake pinocchio has been bashed by critics uh, we'll tell you exactly what they're saying uh, usa today's uh, for the win ranks 100 in the greatest of uh, games of all time and a trailer to the american dream and other fairy tales uh, showing uh, the crisis of disney cast members and their struggles to make ends meet uh, in uh, the uh, final part of our show you're listening to aaron and patricia on the 11th of september of uh, 2022 uh, on the note of uh, the fact that it's uh, September the 11th, uh, our tributes go out to all the people of New York City and all those who were caught up in the uh, 9-11 attacks of uh, 9-11-2001. Uh, it is the uh, 21st anniversary, I believe, now of uh, that uh, tragic yes. day. And uh, so um, still uh, affecting a lot of people, you know, all, all the way to this all the way to this time. And uh, basically, our, you know, the way New York is and the way the politics are, uh, as well in the world, and uh, also uh, many families who are still probably thinking about uh, their loved ones uh, today. So, uh, but uh, you know, no, I mean, how far it goes on, like you know, the uh, effects of it still, you know, uh, affect everybody uh, over there. So basically, we'll witness those uh, tragic events that took place that day. So, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, we are going to move on from that to another thing, which is that uh, the big news that came out uh, last week, and uh, was actually uh, questioning whether we're actually going to do a show this week at all, let alone like you know we're going to do like a, a big you know uh, uh, Disney twenty three part of the show, and that we're going to do you know this other part of the show, and that is that uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth the uh, second, who has reigned over uh, the United Kingdom for nearly seven decades, has passed away at the age of ninety six. Uh, so um, th- how it all played out on that day was about half 12 there was an announcement made that uh, the queen was placed under medical supervision while over at Balmoral Castle over in um in Scotland, which is a, a holiday residence for the royal family. Uh, then, over the last couple of hours on that day, um, it was noted that many of the members of the royal family were making their way over to Balmoral, uh, and so this was quite unusual in this regard. And uh, then it was announced around about um, half six in UK time in the evening that uh, the Her Majesty the Queen had passed away at that time. Now, um, it's funny that that, you know, we be mentioning this because, well, first of all, you know, I consider myself uh, a uh, supporter of every republic, really, rather than, you know, uh, a monarchy. So, but uh, at the same time, like, it would be, uh, you know, hard to ignore the fact that, uh, you know, the Queen of England has had, um, you know, such an impact on, you know, uh, some of the stuff that we grew up with. Uh, over the time, like uh, any time that you know a cartoon show or a movie or anything of that matter has always referenced the um, the head st- of state of the United Kingdom or like any kind of like you know uh, type of that, it's always been a queen. 
in that regard, yes. like it, because that's what people are, you know, um, familiar with in that regard. I think the one that stands out in my mind has definitely been, like, now, th- those of you who don't know, like, uh, it wasn't actually, like, the Queen of England who actually played this role. It was, she was just kind of, like, just referred to as the Queen of, you know, it wasn't, sorry, Queen Elizabeth wasn't, like, the named monarch in this, but uh, it was just the fact that it was the Queen of England, as it is noted in the original book. But uh, one of my memories of, um, you know, um, the Queen being, refer- or being referenced or being a character in media has been, you know, the BFG movie that we saw, you know, back from the 1980s. Yes. So, and, yeah, I remember uh, we talked about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like uh, she was played to the key to basically be, you know, the Queen uh in this and so um it was uh it was played by she was played by angela thorne by the way uh who uh, mm-hmm. you know would play, play, played that role and uh you know still around to this day by the way uh but uh you know uh, angela played you know she definitely had uh queen elizabeth in her mind when she was playing uh you know uh the queen in that and uh but every you know and then there was also what uh, you know she's appeared in like various other you know, uh, or reference in various other cartoon shows, you know, as, you know, not, I wouldn't say parody, it's kind of like more like, you know, when they say the Queen, like, you know, they know, like, uh, her more like her... a tribute. Yeah, well, no, not a tribute, but like, it was more like, you know, it was, uh, when you think of, you know, the Queen, you think of Queen Elizabeth uh, in that regard, like, the way that she speaks in the way that, you know, she has that, like, you know, very, uh, you know, um, addressing tone, but not coming across as forceful, but more coming across as, like, you know, understanding. And that, and uh, that you know, she um, has this kind of like you know, she was referred to you know in the media, and uh, whether you want to believe this or not, as like you know, Britain's granny, uh, pretty much, and uh, that's what she kind of like has, like you know, she uh, has this very like very royal like deliverance, but uh, at the end of the day, she's like uh, she does kind of remind you of like you know, a sweet old relative that you have when uh, she was mm-hmm. doing. I mean, one of the things that, you know, if you really want to know, you know, where would you see the Queen on, uh, you know, on TV, like, you know, where she was one of the very first, you know, I think the first monarch to actually address the nation via television. And uh, so she did that uh, as a Christmas message saying that, uh, you know, this would be a great way to, you know, reach out to everybody and uh, give you know, a very uh, personal tone to um you know the uh, you know the Christmas message in that regard, and that's what she did pretty much every single year. And uh, so, she, you know, likelihood is if you ever came across uh, TV on in Britain on a Christmas uh, uh, on Christmas Day, likelihood is that uh, you will see the Queen on that day. Yes, pretty much on Christmas Day. So uh, she did that for a very long time, and also that you came off that was you know Channel Four's the alternative Christmas message that would be de- de- you know, delivered by somebody else. But uh, it was um, you know she uh, had an impact on media. The fact that uh, you know she pushed you know uh, uh, television to you know the having the Christmas message with her in that, and uh, that she was also uh, you know uh, referenced many times uh on uh, you know tv shows and movies and things like that i think you know her legacy i think will be felt because every time now that uh you know uh definitely now because now we've got king charles the third pretty much now as the as the new uh head of state but uh, i mean uh, for a long time it is going to still be like you know the queen of england pretty much you know being referenced in media you know at least until they decide that you know now all movies now going forward will now be referred to as king because you know the united kingdom now has a king so mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're not going to be having a Queen of England for quite a while, considering that now we have the new king, who's King Charles III, and now um, we have William, who will succeed him, and then his son, Prince George, will succeed him. So unless Prince George has a daughter uh, that's the first in line, yeah, we're going to be seeing 
kings for who knows how long. I mean, uh, technically, we have the queen consort, which is uh, Camilla. Yeah, sure, so, the queen consort, yeah. Yeah, consort, but uh, uh, at the same time, that uh, it will, uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, King Charles will be, you know, the guy everyone listens to in regards to mm-hmm. uh, in regard. But uh, so, I mean, like, I mean, again, like, you know, um, this is a bit where I basically would go on and say, like, you know, I have my own thoughts about the monarchy and things like that. But uh, right now, I just feel like, you know, uh, now is not the time, nor is this the place, you know, where the Arrow Meza show will be coming back in in October. And so I think I'll have my own you know thoughts on that when we get to that point. But uh, for the meantime, I mean, um, in regards to paying tribute to her, I mean, uh, all I can say is that, uh, you know, she meant uh, a, a, a lot to a lot of people. And uh, she, every time people saw her, like, uh, she she was described as someone who, if you went in the room and uh, you had, a, 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 you know, um, you know, uh, like a couple of minutes with her, and uh, she would be described as somebody that, uh, you know, you would not leave without a smile and uh, that, uh, you know, you would not have, you know, your day would definitely be a lot better after seeing her. You know, like, uh, that's, yeah. the, that's the type of temperament that she had, and, you know, she uh, did it very well. She wasn't like, a, you know, she didn't force anything down your throat or anything like that. I mean, like, uh, I mean, we can obviously have discussions about that, but in regards to as a person, apparently she was really, she was very, you know, um, she, she was very knowledgeable and, uh, you know, really was very, uh, very understanding of, uh, you know, uh, of people that were in the room with her, pretty much. Yeah, and also not to mention, there was the Jubilee celebration that happened a few months ago to celebrate her 70th reign as queen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, usually this will be a point where I would, uh, you know, uh, um, go into, like, maybe a top ten movie. Uh, uh, maybe I'm going to see if I can try and find one here. Like, uh, you do apologize, everybody. Like, uh, you know, I had a chance. To, uh, by the way, Mashable did actually put uh, a all the times that um, Queen Elizabeth II was portrayed in films. So, uh, we'll go through a list, and uh, I'll try and go through them, you know, quick, quick quickly, because obviously they're, uh, there's quite a quite a few of them. So, uh, there was uh, Trisha's Wedding, which was a 1971 C.S. Stephen Walden film. Uh, so there was in that, and uh, then just name a couple. Uh, there's uh, Aces Go Places, which uh, was by Finnick uh, Fun Rock in 1984. Uh, National Lampoon's uh, Victoria European Vacation uh, by Jeanette Charles. You uh, played that, and also uh, uh, Jeanette Charles also played uh, her played the Queen in the Naked Gun uh, from Flies uh, of Police from file from the Files of Police Squad in 1988, and uh, also Angela Fawn is also referenced in uh, the Mashable list of the BFG in 1989. Yep, so. that was one that we talked about yeah. uh, in our, our very first episode of the Roald Dahl Retrospective. Yeah, if you want some not-so-great mentions, uh, I would say Ali G in the House uh, is another one from uh, 2002. Ooh. That's the Jasper Varen Cohan film uh, before, he did Br- before he did Bruno. Uh, that was when yes, he did before, his he did, before he did Bruno, before he did all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, and also uh, Austin Powers was also knighted by so by Jeanette Charles, who also did play the Queen of England again. Yeah, actually, this is the thing. Uh, like, uh, I think Jeanette Charles, I think, has been called upon uh, quite a few times to actually play the Queen in uh, in, in comedy movies. So whether it's uh, the Naked Gun or whether it's Austin Powers and Goldmember, and uh, so that has happened quite a, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, uh, Churchill, the Hollywood years, and, uh, Neve Campbell played, uh, quite an interesting version of her, I believe. And also there was the movie The Queen Itself, who was played by Dame Helen Mirren in 2006. Yes, I remember that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the one, one of the more famous ones, I guess you could say, was The King's Speech, uh, who was played by uh, Freya Wilson in 2010. Yeah, but that was like young Elizabeth. Exactly. That wasn't yeah. Like the, yeah, that was like, uh, th- that movie was mostly about her father, King George VI. Mm hmm. 
And if you want a more modern, probably more cringy, probably uh, one, there was also The Queen's Corgi, which was uh, played by Mary Devon uh, and Julia uh, Walters oh. in 2019. Yep, that movie. That, Sabre Spark has reviewed that, viewed that movie if you've not seen it yourself, so you can check it, check out his review and what he thinks about it. And so Yeah, and uh, also it has a really cringy moment with the Queen meeting up with Donald Trump. Yeah, and uh, actually there's also that, uh, if you really want to bring that in, like uh, there was also that moment when Donald Trump ran and walked in front of the Queen when he shouldn't have. So, uh, yeah. Oh. yeah, yeah, so, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting to see how King Charles gets portrayed in, like, cartoon shows and in, like, uh, movies and things like that now. Like, uh, I mean, like, uh, as far as I'm aware, like, I mean, I've not seen, uh, I've not come across any media that, you know, uh, specifically, you know, brings to, you know, King Charles into it. Maybe there might be, might be, like, TV shows where he might have been portrayed, you know, by other actors. But, uh, I mean, uh, interesting to see how they portray, you know, the king going forward in, like, in TV shows and in, and in movies and things like that. And, like, you know, in animated movies, definitely, how he's going to get portrayed. Because, like, uh, you know, there was a standard that was kind of set by Queen Elizabeth about how to basically, you know, do the queen. And now there isn't, I mean, people, I don't think really, I mean, international audiences, I mean, like, uh, I mean, how well do they actually know, queen, you know, uh, King Charles? At this point, like, uh, I mean, uh, is there something like he's, they, have they been aware of him for, a, you know, a while? I mean, or is he still new on the scene? I think uh, that's going to be right. That, that remains to be seen. That's going to be much. a really interesting question. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, like, it was going to be an uphill challenge for him, definitely with Gen Z, is because uh, according to, you know, other research, like, you know, where the, the royal family, at least within, you know, 18 to the 26 year old demographic isn't as popular as like other generations. So it's, um, that's uh, it, again, like, you know, if they're going to be doing, you know, media aimed at that a group of people, how are they going to portray him? Like, uh, that's going to be, I have be no idea. Yeah. We're in uncharted territory. I mean, again, like, you know, everyone who's grown up pretty much in the last seven decades is probably like everyone, you know, like, you know, uh, they've all been familiar with like, the queen being the queen of England. And like, so this is new territory. I think not just for people in Britain, but people across the world, this is new territory for all of us. Yeah, okay. and not to mention that it just so happens that you got a new king and a new prime minister roughly around the same time. And none of them elected. <laughs> Democracy, everybody, but again, I digress. So, eh. uh, but you know, like, uh, uh, so um, right now, as we speak, um, you know, uh, the, the queen is being moved to, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the uh, Scottish castle where they will do uh, a 24-hour... Um, you know, a lying state, and then after that, eventually she will make her way back down to London. And uh, then the funeral is going to be taking place on the 19th of September, so that's the day after my birthday. And uh, then, um, you know, th that will also be a bank holiday too. So uh, people will be off to uh, in, in, in the UK to uh, witness, you know, the Queen's last day, pretty much. So, all right, yeah. So, um, I mean, it's not much of like, it's just more to kind of say, um, I wouldn't say necessarily it's like a, a, a tribute as in, in, in some ways, it's kind of more like, you know, here's the situation and here's where we are now. And like, uh, but, you know, it's uh, a family has lost their, you know, their, their eldest to pretty much, uh, you know, relative at this point. And so, I mean, uh, my heart goes out to people who, you know, uh, really, truly love the Queen and, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, friends, family or whether it's, you know, uh, supporters or anything like that, you know, like uh, they're, they're, they're in my prayers pretty much this week. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's move on to uh, the next thing, which is uh, quite surprising. Um. News actually coming out of this. So, uh, Ren and Stimpy are uh, the revival that's going to be taking place on Comedy Central. So much controversy. So much, you know, uh, no news over this. Uh, will be done by uh, Snipple Animation, and also Robin Bird, who I think was critical, I think, of the revival. I think to begin with, is actually going to be the showrunner and the producer. 
Yeah, well, there's rumors about it. So uh, let's read off the Instagram post by Snipple Animation. So this is what they said. Now that you know what's going on, let us tell you about who's about to come along. Incoming! Recruitment for animation training is now in full screen. Scroll down over our past posts. Experiences animation artists are always welcome to apply for available work. Be with us for more productive days ahead and be part of more happy, happy, joy, joys for you all. So, yeah, for those who don't know about Snipple Animation, which uh, I guess is not like a major animation company for those who are kind of like outside of like, oh, uh, or are they under like Disney or something like that or Nickelodeon it's like and that's not exactly how it works so they are an animation studio that has created and animated and produced a lot of other things from Warner Brothers to DreamWorks so some of their featured work of Snipple animations are as of the following so um you may know them for um, the Animaniacs revival that is up on Hulu, uh, Scooby-Doo and Guess Who, Teen Titans Go, Phineas and Ferb, DuckTales 2017, Big Hero 6, the animated series, Jellystone, The Proud Family, Louder and Prouder, Green Eggs and Ham, Klaus, Wacky Races, um, Unikitty, Bonicula, uh, Dude, That's My Ghost, Santa's Apprentice, The Movie, Lily the Unicorn, Rick and Morty, and plenty more. So... Yes, they had just recently announced that they are doing productions of the Ren and Stimpy revival on Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that should be really interesting to see them do a new take on it because, as you guys know, the original animation studio behind it, the first few seasons was done by Spumco, and then the later seasons was done by Games Animation. So... Yeah, Spumco uh, have been shut down for quite a while, and uh, Games Animation has now um, been kind of like swallowed up by Nickelodeon Animation Studios, so that that's what they're currently on uh, right now, so... Uh, yeah, so given the fact that we have Ren and Stimpy coming back in Comedy Central, even though for the longest time we've been hearing it's been canceled, it's been revived, um, it's currently in a massive delay, so we don't know if it's even going to be happening. No, it is going to be coming out. You just wait and see. So now it's been confirmed they are under production. Yeah, so, I mean, like, it's going to be interesting to see where Snipple takes Ren and Stimpy, pretty much, because, I mean, if you, if you see their uh, featured work on their website, like, if you see, like, all the stuff that they've worked on, like, uh, there's been times where they will say, okay, well, we're going to keep the uh, original, like, design, and uh, we're basically either going to, like, you know, do a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a cartoony kind of, like, uh, take on it, and, uh, you know, but uh, also there's been times when they basically kind of, like, oh, we're just going to stick with, like, the format that we people kind of know and love the uh the thing for but uh, i mean it's uh interesting to see where they go with ren and stimpy i mean like uh do, do i mean dare i say like you know some of the things that made you know where uh, ren and stimpy you know were uh, uh, you know, iconic. I think it's obviously it's gross-out humor. It's uh, you know, it's uh, kind of like you know how disgusting it really is and things like that. And like mm -hmm. uh, you know how you know where they really do go overboard with it all. I mean, like, uh, are they gonna you know up the ante on that or are they gonna play it safe? And so uh, interesting to see. This is gonna be interesting. Uh, I mean, are they, is this gonna be a for Snipples? Is this gonna be a uh, a walk away from kind of like what they normally do and we're going into new territory, or are they gonna play it safe and kind of play it like? Uh, some of their more, you know, uh, their, their more cartoony shows. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. And uh, the fact that Robin Bird is rumored to being the showrunner slash producer, considering that uh, the other person who a lot of people were thinking should have been the showrunner slash producer, Bob Camp, he actually left the project due to creative differences. So there's rumors going around that Robin Bird will be the main showrunner producer. So, 
Yeah, it would. If that were the case, if this is true, then it would be incredibly ironic, considering that Robin Bird was one of the two girls that, you know, quote unquote, was accused by, you know, various that you know she said that um, John Kay, you know, was doing a lot of inappropriate misconduct towards her when she was a teenager. So. Yeah, her and Katie Rice, uh, they stepped in around 2018 and told them about what John Kay did to them when they were really, really young. So, yeah, if that were the case in which she's now the the main showrunner producer and John Kay is not, that would be like major, major, major revenge. Even though that if you've seen the Happy Happy Joy Joy, the unauthorized written Stimpy story, um, and uh, also the documentary... Uh, that also came out around the same around a few years later that um, you would see that she was not very happy about um, you know Ren and Stimpy after you know telling her story about what John Gay uh, did to her so you know for uh, for her as far as she knew that the project was pretty much dead for her so the fact that there might be rumors that she might even you know uh, come back to this would be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, like, but at the same time, like, it would be interesting to see where they, where, where basically where they go with this, because obviously it's going to be a, a very different studio, very different uh, directing style, and I mean, um, will it end up being, you know, because the problem is, is that uh, Ren and Stimpy is known uh, for hitting certain notes in the show, and uh, if they end up bringing back this revival and they don't hit those notes, like, you know, this could either be being forgettable or end up being, you know, when they're talking about it, or it could end up being basically made fun of like i say like you know it's not as good as the original show you know i mean uh, at least we could probably say that it'll be better than adult party cartoon well i mean yeah anything could be better than about cartoon as far as i'm concerned like you know it's just it's uh but uh i mean i think for if the snipple are going to be taking this on and are going to be doing it with a you know i think one thing they have to do is that uh, they're going to do something pretty unique with it i mean like if this isn't like you know uh we're reviving you know hanna-barbera you know characters this isn't like you know we're we're reviving you know uh it's not a case where you can make these characters you know more dynamic and give them more, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you, know, you can do different things with them, basically. Like, I don't know if you can do that with Ren and Stimpy. Like, you know, like, uh, Ren and Stimpy are known for certain things, but, they, they, you know, uh, them going off into a different direction, I'm not too sure if the, if, uh, you know, the fans will be, you know, even Nickel old-school Nickelodeon fans will be even accepting, accepting of that. Mm. You know, it's... Uh, you know, like uh, there's, there's already like, a bit of a backlash after the after the Rugrats, you know, f you know, uh, revival and stuff like that. Like, you know, I hope Snipple are aware, like, you know, what they're getting themselves into. I think, in regards yeah, to that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we have seen the recent revival of an adult animated series, and that was Beavis and Butthead. Mike Judge came back to do that, and uh, from what I've heard from several people who have watched it, they said it's actually pretty good, and it's a nice continuation of not only the 90s animated series, but the revival that happened in 2011. Okay, well, let's see if uh, Ren and Stimpy can meet that standard. Yeah, and not only that, but uh, we're also planning on getting the uh, the Daria spinoff, Jody. So that's going to be the next project after Ren and Stimpy, whenever that comes out. And uh, I guess we'll talk about this, even though it's not in the news announcement. But um, Fox had recently made an announcement that they will not be bringing back King of the Hi uh, yeah King of the Hill because they want to focus on more original adult uh, animated projects. Yeah, well, I mean, like uh, again, it's um, I, I mean, actually, I guess that's some 
somewhat commendable, I guess. But, I mean, same for, like, Mike Judge won't be getting his, uh, you know, possibilities, like, say, oh, what's going on with King of the Hill now nowadays? Like, you know, I would actually be intrigued by that. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Like, I think out of all the animation studios that are currently, you know, uh, I think are going in the right direction, I think Pixar's basically going, you know, once again, is uh, the one that's, uh, you know, uh, got the right, you know, mentality. It's like, we've got these new projects, we've got some new animators, and we've, uh, you know, we've got some new ideas, and we want to show them to people. And, uh, you sure. know, m majority of the time, they end up hitting a good note. But, uh, unfortunately, like we said in the first, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the first um, uh, part of the show, that, uh, you know, unfortunately, they're releasing two movies in the same year, which, you know, obviously, you know, with their curse, it pretty much is like one ends up being really good and one ends up being not, be not being not so good. So, uh, yeah, but uh, I think that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, but uh, in the meanwhile, we'll just have to uh, wait and see how this revival will turn out. And also, we'll see if um, if it's rumored that Bromin Bird will be the showrunner and producer. We'll see how she directs um, the new interpretation of these characters that have been around for 30 years. Mm-hmm. All right, so now that we have uh, that bit of Nickelodeon news out of the way, let's talk about another one. And uh, we have another... Uh, series that is actually going to get a revival in its own unique way, which is a graphic novel, and it is called Danny Phantom, A Glitch in Time. Yeah, so, I mean, we're not getting any Danny Phantom stuff, I think, for a good long while, I don't think, so... It, I think yeah, it's been over a decade. Good grief, like, so, um, I think A Glitch in Time, I think for Danny Phantom fans, I think it's going to be very... I mean, obviously, they probably would have preferred, like, you know, having another, you know, series of the show or something like that, but so we'll have a TV special, but you know what? A graphic novel, I think, should be good. So. I mean, I guess a, gra uh, a TV series or a TV movie, you know, I guess that would have involved Butch Hartman and you know what direction he's decided to take. Mm, well, yeah, like, well, I mean, uh, they, yeah, but I, I guess they would have been a massive uh, deal if Nickelodeon decided to think, oh, hey, we're bringing Danny Phantom back, but, you know, did Butch Hartman's not going to be involved. I mean, obviously that's going to have a problem, but, uh, you know, like, uh, but I mean, like, imagine with this graphic novel, like, is Butch Hartman getting involved in this? Or? No, he's not. Yeah, okay. So, well, um, what's the direction are they going with it? Yeah. All right, so let me just read you the plot synopsis. This all-new middle school graphic novel based on Nickelodeon's animated series Danny Phantom takes readers on a time-traveling adventure that takes place directly after the series finale when the original ghost gang, Danny Phantom, and his best friend Sam Banson and Tucker Foley, when the gang starts experimenting with time-travel glitches, Danny's arch-nemesis Vlad Masters arrives on his doorstep with terrifying news. Dark Danny has escaped from prison. Danny must get his friends together with partner and partner up with Vlad to jump through time and space and unlock secrets of the ghost zone. But can they make it to Amity Park before Dark Danny destroys the ghost gang's entire world? Hmm. Yeah, well, a really great way to start off a graphic novel, I have to say. So, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you have two of the more iconic villains in Danny Phantom. Obviously, Vlad Plasmus, who is a major reoccurring villain. And then you have Dark Danny, who is Danny Phantom from the future turned evil that was featured in the TV movie that a lot of people really enjoyed. So, yeah, a lot of uh, beats for notes about... Um, a new in, a way of uh, bringing Danny Phantom back into the limelight. It's taking place after the series finale when, you know, the Phantom Planet was about to crash into Amity Park and they have to work together so that they can be able to save the world and Tucker becomes mayor. Dan, Danny and Sam have a relationship together. Everybody knows that who Danny Phantom is. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are wondering about, you know, how are they going to be able to top that if they were able to do another season, which we already know what happened, that Nickelodeon wanted to cancel this series and so... 
you know, the whole season three had to be rushed, and it didn't really help much that Steve Marmel, who was a major writer with Butch Hartman, actually left after season two, and so the writing didn't stand up to the same quality compared to the other stuff. Even Fairly Odd Parents suffered the same fate because um, Steve Marmel left around, I believe, season five or six, which was when, you know, the whole mess with Poof and Sparky and all that stuff started to happen. Yeah, so, it was really like unnecessary ad- you know, additional characters. Which, yeah, uh, pretty yeah. much. So yeah, um, I've actually mentioned that I wanted to see a Danny Phantom comic book series a long time ago in my list of top 10 Nicktoons that need comic book adaptations with my good buddy Comic Uno, and Danny Phantom was, I believe, number four. Hmm. Well, you're getting it, so... <laughs> in fact, um, since I did that video a few years ago, several others have been released. Legend of Korra, um, there was Rugrats, and um, let's see what else was there... I think those are the ones that have come out since then. The other ones, such as um, Angry Beavers and My Life as a Teenage Robot, have yet to have comic book adaptations. But uh, who knows? Maybe they will at some point. Well, well, they seem to be listening. So, <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, Dark Horse and I guess Abrams books have been listening to my commentary and watching my videos have, hey, um, you know these move these uh, Nicktoons? Uh, I would love to see comic book adaptations of them. Can you do it? please that'll be awesome so yeah. i guess so yeah so well yeah you yeah, keep borrowing our ideas nickelodeon we're feeding them by the barrelful so <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i mean think about it i mean that's like the first new good news of nickelodeon we've said in weeks considering that the last few ones we've been talking about all the actors who worked with dan schneider and all the stuff that they've been saying yeah exactly well i mean like here's the thing about this like uh, i mean uh, i mean we're not going to go over all territory again i mean like nickelodeon also have to address this so like you know I'll, I'll keep saying that again but at the same time like uh, you know um you know nickelodeon you know um, obviously still you know power on and uh, so they're still going to uh, you know do uh, you know all of this stuff, and uh, you know continue to um, you know uh, you know. I mean, obviously Nickelodeon's still got to do something, you know, in, regard, in, in regards to you know keeping the, keeping themselves afloat. And it looks like they're you know hitting the right notes with uh, saying that oh hey, Danny Phantom is going to finally get this uh, graphic novel in. Like interesting to see what uh, they they come up with next. But yeah, but in regards to like all the controversy and stuff like that, Nickelodeon still need to address all that stuff. Like you know, like yeah, they, they can't they can't just ignore it because it's it is you know I, I guarantee it's not going to come up this week. But uh, it, you know, mind you, like you know we've we've adjusted quite a couple of episodes. Now, but I mean, like you know, eventually, you know, somewhere down the line, mainstream media is going to start picking this up. But so uh, you know, it's just mm-hmm. more—it's more if, rather than when. So. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess we'll go over to our next bit of news, and this is a big one. You know, I mean, sure, you know, Pixar has been critically acclaimed for, you know, its style of storytelling and its animation and all that stuff. But when the Criterion Collection gets a hold of this, you know this is massive. So for those who don't know, the Criterion Collection releases movies and DVDs and Blu-rays of the most critically acclaimed films of all time. So the fact that WALL-E is the first Disney movie ever to be inside that Criterion Collection with a 4K Blu-ray release... This is massive. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, here's the thing about Wally. Like, you know, you and I enjoyed, like, you know, the, the first, like, the first two acts. And then when we finally, well, sorry, when we got, probably I would say, like, maybe one and a half acts, I think we could say. And then when we finally get, like, to the axiom, obviously, then the movie doesn't really feel as, uh, as, as well as, like, you know, when we first started off. So I think that was our, you know, complaints about Wally. And so, uh, but uh, no, I think uh, the fact that we're continuing on with Wally, I think, and Disney's still, you know, making reference to it. By the way, uh, I mean, I know we've moved away from D23 and, like, you know, from the first episode, but uh, uh, apparently in uh, one of the hotels, uh, they actually had like a, a Wally animatronic actually going around making the rounds. 
uh, with people. So uh, actually, mm-hmm. look, actually, look pretty cool. So yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean the fact that um, this movie, out of all of them, I mean this is the first of Disney's movies that is on the Criterion Collection. Like, you would think maybe Snow White or Cinderella or Beauty and the Beast or even Toy Story would be considered in this collection. But no, out of all of them, it's Wally. Hmm. Well, I think, uh, I mean, it definitely had a, you know, when it first came out, like, it definitely had a message about, like, you know, you got to be worried about, like, you know, all the, all the stuff that was happening in the future because, you know, it could happen. You know, like, uh, and uh, so I think uh, it has, uh, and also keep in mind, it won an Oscar for, like, you know, the best animated feature in, tw- in 2009. So, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it is Oscar-worthy at this point, but, uh, I mean, from obviously from our personal standpoint, obviously, you know, the movie has problems, but, uh, you know, not enough to, like, you know, keep it away from, like, you know, uh, you know massive praise, so. Sure, sure. I mean, I think that it is really important to why this movie was chosen first out of everything else. According to the official website, uh, it says... Wally is a high water mark of digital animation. This persistent vision of a dystopian future is packed within a dazzling pop science fictional love story, making for an urgent fable of our troubled millennium. It is the 29th century and humans have long since fled Earth for outer space, leaving Wally, the last functioning trash compacting robot, to go about the work of cleaning up a pollution choked planet one piece of garbage at a time. When he meets Eve, a fellow automation set to detect plant life, the pair are launched into an intergalactic quest to return humanity to earth transporting us simultaneously back to cinema's silent origins and forward light years into the future wally is a soaring ode to the power of love and art to heal a dying world yeah so um by the way all the people like you're saying like you know i've never heard of the criterion collection before what is it like uh, so uh, this is a dedicated to the gathering of greatest films from around the world and publishing them to either dvd blu-ray or 4k ultra hd editions of the uh, highest technical quality with uh, supplemental features that enhance the appreciation of the art of the film so basically it is a massive collection of like all the greatest movies that you know are you know basically there and Criterion basically you know uh, take them all and uh, put them out for distribution yeah, I would say that if you are looking into like what have been the greatest movies of all time, the Criterion Collection has at least featured them. And I would say that, you know, you have the classics that has come out back then. Uh, you have the current classics and the modern masterpieces. So, yeah, they basically highlight various films that they believe are ones that, you know, deserve to be properly recognized in cinema. So it could be uh, foreign films. It could be independent films. It could be your massive blockbuster or it could be anything just as long as it has made a huge impact on cinema. And I think that um, the fact that this movie is in the Criterion Collection alongside with other films such as Raging Bull, Devil in a Blue Dress, um, Drive My Car, Blowout, Daddy Long Legs, The Virgin Suicides, Pink Flamingos, The Worst Person in the World, Shaft, Farewell Amour, and Rouge. And this is saying, like, yeah, it belongs along those categories of movies. I think that maybe, just maybe, that people who are saying that animation is just kitty stuff will maybe treat it a little bit more seriously. Seriously. And by the way, like, uh, maybe this is probably to, uh, you know, maybe me and you, Patricia, but uh, this, uh, the uh, Criterion.com website actually has loads of top tens in it <laughs> from people. <laughs> of course they do. Yeah, of course they do. So, uh, 
Uh, actually, actually, I'll probably pick one out and uh, see what we think. So, uh, uh, do you want to do uh, either uh, Tyson Gull, who is a uh, Los Angeles-based musician, who his favorite films include uh, uh, so the uh, Kooky and Trippy and the Dystopian, or Heidi Bevins, who is a costume designer known for her work on Inland Empire, Spring Breakers, and Euphoria? Um, mm. Who should we go with? Um, mm, that's a good question. I mean, they both have different I- ideas of what they feel are like good movies. So, I guess it depends. Uh, let's go with uh, let's go with Heidi Bevins. I think uh, she might have an interesting top ten. I think so. Uh, let's. So she. This is her top ten. She is the uh, costume designer for uh, for uh, working with David Lynch on Inland Empire, and has uh, since uh, gone into a collaborative with uh, Harmony Corrine in uh, Spring Breakers and uh, The Beach Bum, uh, Joanna Hill with uh, Mid Nineties, and uh, Adrian L- uh, Lynn when Deep Water. And uh, she has also received three Emmy nominations for her work on HBO's uh, Euthoria. So uh, this is her top ten list of uh, movies in uh, the uh, Criterion Collection. So shall we go through them and see what we think? Okay, so uh, number 10 in this list is uh, My Own Private Idaho. Okay. Okay, I'm not really to watch that one. Uh, Number 9 in this list is McCabe and Mrs. Miller. I've heard of McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It is a Western film. My friend Big Black Catman talked about it uh, because the AFI mentioned it in their top 10 Westerns of all time. So from what I understand, it's about a guy who goes into a town and it's kind of falling apart. And he meets up with a prostitute named Mrs. Miller and they um, work together to open up a bar and they brought the town back to life. So that's what I've heard about. It's supposed to be like a, a dark take on a classic Western genre. So that's basically what it is yeah i mean like uh, i'm really familiar with the spaghetti westerns i'll be honest with everybody so it's not like, spaghetti uh, western at all it's more like a darker version of a western exactly yeah but i'm really familiar with those so i've never really watched that, those those types of westerns okay really. then. so sure I mean, i've watched django and change but besides that like you know uh, yeah but there's a tribute to spaghetti westerns though. exactly yeah so uh number eight in this list is the hairs by william weiner okay Weiler. yeah uh number seven in this list is brazil from terry gilliam oh Terry Gilliam. Oh my goodness. Terry Gilliam is very interesting whenever he directs films. I mean, I know he's part of Monty Python in terms of like all the, um, you know, the creative kookiness, but yeah, his his stuff is weird. Like Brazil is kind of like a really interesting dystopian film that looks into business. So, I've yeah, I mean, it's Terry Gilliam. That's what I'll probably say. It's Terry Gilliam. Yeah. It's, it's basically like, oh, um, uh, how do you make um, 1984 weird? Well, there you go. Here okay. it is. Yeah. Uh, number six in his list is La Haine. I haven't heard of that no, one. Heard one that. Okay. Uh, number five in his list is uh, The Gleaners and I. No, I haven't heard no. of that one. Uh, number four in his list is uh, Barry Lyndon uh, by Stanley Kubrick. Hmm. Uh, I know a lot about Stanley Kubrick, yeah, yeah. but I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, uh, Number three is David Lynch's Blue Velvet. I've heard of Blue Velvet, but I have not seen it. it, Uh, Number two is uh, The Double Life of Veronica. Veronica, I think it's... No, no, I haven't seen it. And the number one on this list is uh, Terrence Malick's Badlands. I've heard of Badlands. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's uh, the film about two young lovers on the run based on the true story of an ill-fated killing spree in the 50s. Okay. So, okay. So, uh, well, uh, that was... <laughs> 
quite an interesting top 10, I have to say. And uh, there's also loads I mean, of other top 10s it, as well. It's, yeah, a lot of these films, like I said, they are very mixed. There's either indie films, they're classics, they're modern takes, they're foreign films. There are so many of them. But they have done a lot of groundbreaking stuff in storytelling, acting, uh, directing, cinematography, costumes, makeup, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, a lot of uh, these movies are you know they're praised for a reason like mm -hmm. um some of the movies and uh, these are other examples i'm looking in their criteria collection that are there uh david lynch's eraser head you have dating cronenberg scanners you have the godzilla films you have bruce lee films the incredible shrinking man adam sandler's uncut gems you have um uh night of the living dead so yeah there's a whole bunch of movies that are in here awesome Okay, well, um, let's move. Congratulations to Wally to making that collection. Before we conclude, I I'm actually curious. Now that you know Wally is in the Criterion Collection, what other film do you believe, uh, whether it be Disney or even DreamWorks or something like that, what other animated film do you think deserves to be in the Criterion Collection? Oh, I mean, like, uh, given the fact that a lot of these movies are pretty artistic, and uh, I mean, it's uh, huh, that's that's a great question i mean like uh, i mean um i mean if i had to, if i had to go with like uh, you know uh, uh, a list of films i mean like i mean we'll end up going through a top 10 again i think but uh, i think well, no no uh, no let's, let's not let's, let's, let's just, not do just that, name at least like, just name one um well i think we can definitely say who isn't going to be in this list shall we say so cast two definitely isn't going to be in that list i think we can all, <laughs> we can all no agree. way um i'm just having a look now i think soul could end up in that list Ooh, so, uh, that's a nice choice. So I think will be a, a, a good choice for that list. Um, I'm just thinking, think, um, maybe, uh, no. Ratatouille should be in that list, I think. Okay. Ratatouille definitely should be in that list. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, uh, hmm, would I put The Incredibles in that list? I mean, like, uh, hmm, maybe I probably would. You know, The Incredibles is one of my favorite Pixar movies. You know, mm -hmm. I, I definitely would go in that direction and uh yeah but uh i think uh if uh, i think that those are those definitely two, two movies actually we'll put in that collection definitely the incredibles and definitely ratatouille i mm -hmm. think uh, yeah those are good choices yeah um that's really hard to say i mean coco uh, in terms of its animation i think would re be really nice in the criterion collection and also you know showcasing mexican culture um and if we, I mean, Toy Story, definitely. I mean, you know, it was the first 3D animated film. I mean, without it, we wouldn't have, you know, um, 3D animated films today. And, you know, the industry would, um, you know, be completely different than what it is now. So I think it definitely deserves to be in the criteria. Uh, yeah, collection. I mean, like, I didn't know. I didn't want to be too obvious, really. Like, you know, I think Toy Story, I think. Uh, I don't know. I'm like, predictable. That's what I am. I'm predictable. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, but I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, I would agree with you on Toy Story. I think if, uh, you know, if everyone else, would it end up in the Criterion Collection, you know? No, I, I I couldn't see why not. I mean, like I would like to hear arguments about why it shouldn't be in there. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, moving on to our next bit of news. So let's give off. Um, uh, I told you so for <laughs> Illuminations Mario movie that's been pushed back to spring 2023. I mean, <laughs> we kind of knew that this was going to happen at some point because, well, you know how Nintendo are and you know how um, Shigeru Miyamoto's um, you know, statement about a rush game is forever bad but a delayed game is eventually good. So, yeah, they're really taking their time with this Mario movie. Yeah, like, uh, and also, like, I think they were saying before, I mean, I don't know where this came from, but uh, I think they were, like, trying to, uh, they were trying to, like, uh, 
put it down as like, a, oh, this is not like a, um, you know, a delay. This is like, uh, this was like the, the what we were planning to do all the, this, this whole the whole thing along. So, uh, like, so I think the uh, the new release date, at least uh, from what the rumors are saying right now, is going to be like uh, April seventh, twenty twenty three. I think is uh, what's yes. being being talked about. I think. Uh, yes, that's, that's what the um, the date is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, but I mean, they're trying to put this off as like you know, oh, this is not a delay. It's just like you know, this is the way it was supposed to kind of like be. But uh, I mean, like, uh, uh, and I wasn't even aware there was even an original release date to begin with. I thought it was kind of like you know, if there was a tentative date that uh, that was given, and then there would be like you know, we actually haven't had like a proper trailer out yet. So, nope. Uh, yeah, no like... trailer. No pictures. No nothing. Yeah, like, you know, it, 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 you wouldn't think, you know, if uh, we were going to be talking about dates, I mean, like, you would have thought they would have, like, had a trailer first to, like, say, hey, you know, this is uh, going to, you know, here's a trailer, and uh, then, you know, the date's going to be at the end of the trailer, you know? Like, it's just, it's... Uh, yeah, and I know what you're going to say, but what about that whole rumored, um, you know, Nintendo Direct thing? Maybe they would have released a trailer. Well, again, it's still a rumor. So I know that um, the guy who spread that rumor said that it might happen next week. But again, you know, we still haven't heard any announcements from Nintendo yet. And even if there was a Nintendo Direct showing off all of these things, we're not 100% sure they'll even show even a glimpse of what the Mario movie is going to be. And by the way, um, if the rumor is true that they're going to be releasing this in April, it will not be, it will definitely not be debuting at E3 2023. So, no. like, yeah, definitely not. So, uh, interesting to see what, if, uh, mind you, like, uh, you know, is it feel, I mean, even though it is, you know, April, I mean, if that is the rumored thing, it is kind of close. Like, you know, it's, uh, when are, I mean, w I mean, I guess, when are we going to go see a trailer? Like, uh, when are they planning to actually, you know, uh, show us something because I mean, like at the minute, like it's, it sounds like from uh, all the stories that are basically being told at the moment is that some people know, you know like some test. I mean, some footage mo of it must exist because uh, from what has been rumored uh, is that actually they did do a test audience for it, so they have showed what uh, Mario is uh, going to eventually look like. So uh, something out there of it must exist, and so I mean, we also reported on all that news, you know, a couple of weeks back. But, uh, I mean, right now, it's just, it's, it's so weird that we're talking about, like, you know, release dates when we've, you know, again, I agree with you. We've not seen a trailer. We've not seen any images. All we know is that the voice, uh, you know, the voice cast that's been announced. And we're still yet to hear about, you know, more voices in that regard, too. So, um, yeah, like, it's just, it's, uh, there's a lot of mystery uh, currently going on with this, um, with this film at the minute. And so... Um, I'm just wondering what's, uh, is basically, what is the holdup of, like, you know, releasing some promotional images, and what's the holdup of, like, releasing a trailer, if you've got plenty of footage to work with, enough to even say that, you know, hey, we're gonna put this in front of people, and, uh, we're gonna see if it, uh, goes, goes well, you know, goes well or not, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, uh, we have not we not have heard of anything from this. I mean, I know that there was somebody who posted up, oh, the movie's going to be about this, and the you know Charles Martinet's going to do this as a cameo or something like that. But yeah, all we can do is just go into speculation. So until Nintendo gives a further announcement about this, whether it be a Nintendo Direct or whether it be on a certain event, who knows, we're just going to take everything with a grain of salt. And now we can confirm saying that Mario is not going to be coming into theaters until 2023. Yeah. So, um, 
I mean, like, uh, interesting to see, I mean, how would you think they are going to, if they are going to do something, I mean, like, uh, how do you think they're going to uh, announce it? I mean, are they going to Illumination do it through, like, social media, or are they going to, like, uh, say, okay, we're going to have a Nintendo Direct, and it's going to come up on that, like, it's just, it's, uh, or is uh, is it going to just, like, just uh, appear one day, and, uh, or it's going to get, uh, mind you, I wouldn't be too surprised at this point if, uh, if people are getting so desperate for it, that it ends up getting leaked. Uh, I'm, I'm more, I don't know, like, uh, I'd rather that it be a controlled, like, you know, um, release of, like, a trailer or something like that. I, I don't really want to find out that this is actually, you know, some guy still recorded it, like, a, on a camera somewhere and, like, you know, uh, basically release it online. I'd be worried about, about that happening, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. again, I have no idea. Yeah. So we move All on right, to, so... uh, um, well, moving on from uh, Illumination to uh, uh, Blue Sky, which uh, is uh, uh, we're now part of the uh, the Disney family, pretty much. And uh, so uh, we are currently doing Journey to the Blue Sky, and uh, we're doing a uh, the next movie that we're doing is, would you believe it, a Ice Age movie, <laughs> which was uh, Dawn of the Dinosaurs. And so uh, we uh, had a discussion about that. And uh, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not really feeling any further different from the way I felt about it the last time we talked about it, which is that uh, you know um, this uh, franchise is uh, got to the third movie, and it feels like it's running out of steam. Yeah. yeah. And also, a lot of things that were in the first two movies are absent. Like, there's no quiet moments, and everything is just, like, really, really fast-paced, and there's no story structure. The movie's not funny anymore. The only highlight for us was uh, Buck, and the only reason why he was a highlight was because it was played by Simon Pegg. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, Buck, yeah, Buck, once again, like, I can understand why, you know, um, uh, people people love Buck, because, you know, he is a... Uh, he is a fun character to be, uh, get you through this movie and get you through the, like this dinosaur world. But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> that's the best part of the movie. Unfortunately, the rest, of, the rest of it is uh, not so great. And uh, I thought, you know, like maybe I might be a bit being a bit unfair, but uh, maybe to mammoths. But uh, it kind of makes me feel you know, it's kind of weird. Like you know, we had this birth of this character, and then all of a sudden, it's just like you know, he's walking around like you know, like you know, a couple of minutes later, like nothing happened. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it's uh, that still feels kind of like out of place to me a little bit. It uh, does, yeah. yeah. And uh, then it's just it's uh, I can't even remember the villain in this movie, even though people say like you know it's a it's a it's a they say it's a good villain, but you know Rudy. But uh, I mean like it's just it's uh, to me it's just like it's just it's you know also all, all the dinosaurs feel like you know pretty generic in all of this too. Like you know would it, it, it not hurt to like you know so hey you know well, we gave all these other characters you know uh, voices you know like uh, what about all these dinosaurs like again I still want to know why is it that you know dinosaurs you know even though these animals can all talk how come these dinosaurs can't you know I, I still don't know how that works yeah so uh, again like I would say everybody you know go, go watch the uh yeah, so go listen to the episode, really, because um, uh, you know um, I feel like all I'm doing is kind of like you know, it's kind of repeating what I kind of said in the episode, really, because I, f- I still don't feel any different about it. Like, and also talk about those as well. Like, we still got like three Ice Age related, like you know, um, uh, movies or like you know things that we need to watch, you know, still for uh, you know to get through the journey to the blue sky, still. So like uh, you know, this uh, I'm a bit worried about going on to the next thing, really, because I've not seen any of the- after Ice Age three. I've not really seen any of the other you know Ice Age movies, so I have no idea what I'm in for when I go into yeah, the next one. And I've heard that Collision Course and Continental Drift, they're 
two of the worst of the movies and I'm just dreading. And then of course, um, you know, Ice Age, The Adventures of Buck Wild, which is the the first movie that was done in Disney, but not done by Blue Sky themselves after they acquired it is even worse. So yeah. it, you know, yeah. we, we saw a trailer and it didn't even look like it was even, you know, uh, passable to Blue Sky standards. Yeah, it looked awful. It did. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, you know, throughout this retrospective, I've been trying to give at least some credit to Blue Sky because, you know, I've been noticing a lot of patterns that their writing sucks for the Mm. most part. It's just so mediocre and so generic and it, it has great ideas, but they're executed so poorly but the animation's beautiful. I mean, the animation has just continued to get better and better as time went on. Well, yeah, but- I mean, the, the animation is of the time, it is of modern, you know, uh, you know, uh, quality and things like that. Like, there's no problem there. But it's just, it's, uh, it's what you do with it, which is the problem. Exactly. I mean, this is what I would sometimes say in various podcasts that I've done over the years that um, 3D animation ages the worst. Like if you're looking at a movie that came out like 20, 30, 40 years ago and you're looking at it from, you know, an animation perspective, it would not hold up. I mean, you know, looking back on Toy Story, it looks rough. Looking back on Ants, it looks rough. But why do those movies still work as classics? Because the characters are lovable, the writing is top-notch, the music is great, and, you know, they were able to go around the limitations of what they were able to do with the animation. So... You know, that's why those movies are still regarded. And even with 2D animated films, even as something as Snow White is still timeless. But if you're just going to rely on animation alone and you're not going to care too much with characters or story or setting or any of that stuff, then your project is going to suffer. I know, exactly. Like, it's just... It's, I mean, look at all, like... Uh, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, look at look at Cars 2. I mean, like, uh, you look at like, some of, like, some of the, uh, the, the worst Pixar movies. Like, you know, I talk about The Good Dinosaur being a tech demo. Like, you know, just... Yeah. Because, like, you know, uh, you have, like, great, you know, animation and, like, you know, you can do, like, all these, you know, weird and wonderful things. You know, like, you know, if it still feels like it, look at Buck Bunny. Like, you know, if you can, uh, if you can do, it's great that you can do all this stuff. But, like, if you don't really, like, do anything meaningful behind, you know, behind it, basically it just ends up kind of like, oh, hey, uh, this looks good on your TV, but, like, it uh, doesn't look like all that you know, uh, it is not all that engaging and, uh, you know, you probably like, you know, we'll put it in once, realize how, you know, owning, you know, how, how interested you are in it. And then after that, you don't go back to it again. And that's how I feel about, you know, all these ice age movies that we're going to be coming up to soon. I feel like they're going to be once and never again and never going to like really, really reapproach them, uh, for yeah. any reason. Yeah, and once we get to the end of the podcast and we talk about Blue Sky, you know, being bought out by Disney and shutting down afterwards, I mean, I know a lot of people have had mixed result, uh, you know, mixed opinions about whether they deserve to be shut down or not. I'll give my full details into what I think of it, but... Um, you know, as somebody who has only just seen this part, and I've only seen one other, um, you know, Blue Sky film, I haven't seen any of the others. Ah, oh, man, I mean... It's really hard to say whether I think that Blue Sky should have stuck around because 
I feel like it was kind of like one of those flash in the pan moments. It's like, you know, their first attempt was done so brilliantly, but then everything else that came out afterwards was just mediocre. Every once in a while, they would have something great, like um, Horton Hears a Who. That was a great movie. And then there's some other ones that were actually pretty good, too. But other than that, it's just been pretty generic, mediocre, uninspired, uninteresting, all over the place, too bloated with characters and all that kind of stuff it's just it, it's riddled with problems why i mean like there needs to be like you know your, your project needs a purpose and if your purpose is that oh hey we all uh, we made a lot of money on the last film so we need to do something now and uh, we need to get it out there as uh, as quickly as possible and uh, we need to but even though hey well uh, what story are we going to tell these guys oh, just tell just tell something it's like oh hey simon pegg's available it's like you know come on guys like you know, like yeah. uh, you know, uh, it, it needs it needs more than that, really. You know. Yeah, so. but hopefully, if we do see the other movies, then maybe we'll be proven wrong. Maybe the other films have been, you know, under uh, underrated gems. But again, we'll let you know once we see them. Cool. All right, so let's go over to our next bit of news. So uh, voice actor Candy Milo is releasing her new autobiography calling Surviving the the yeah they're surviving the odd so um yeah it's actually a really really interesting take on what her life was so around the 60s when her father tony milo was done with the acting industry uh and this was around the time in which when uh ronald reagan was governor in california and there was a lot of shutdowns with various hospitals and mental institutions and people who were going through that were pretty much just you know um, had nowhere to go in terms of getting help, uh, he decided to open up a boarding home so that people can be able to go in and get all the support and all the care that they needed. And this was what Candy Milo's childhood was like, where she was surrounded by people who were physically and mentally ill. And so this is when she decided to write her all of her experiences in her autobiography. And I've heard this story several times when she mentioned it on Talking Tunes with Rob Paulson. She even mentioned it to me when I interviewed her for the podcast several years ago that she said that her life was just so interesting that she really wanted to write a book about it. And now she finally has, and it's going to be coming out this October. That's awesome. So, uh, by the way, I'm still active in uh, regards to, uh, you know, uh, she's going to be starring in uh, the other Pinocchio movie, which, you know, uh, the uh, one that we're going to talk about is not that. So uh, we're going to tell you all about that. But uh, also, she's uh, currently going to be doing uh, Tiny Toons University, which is going to be the revival of Tiny Toons. So she's going to be doing that yes. too. And also, uh, for those of you uh, you know who want to know her from uh, you know back in the day, like you know where uh, she did Dexter's Laboratory, you know she did uh, Fillmore, she did Duck Dodgers, you know where uh, she uh, also was in uh, you know uh, Johnny Bravo too. Like you know she's uh, she's been one of our you know uh, you know great you know uh, voice actresses you know like uh, who's basically had a hand in and or a voice I should say in like uh, some of our stuff that we remember from back you know from uh, from back in yesteryear. So uh, and also she's still doing stuff now. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was in Chalk Zone. She was in My Life as a Teenage Robot. She was in Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. Yeah, she did a lot of stuff. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting to see that, you know, it's uh, this book is not about that. It's about, like, you know, all the all the characters that basically she, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, you know, you know uh, obviously experiencing, you know, uh, while uh, that's going to be all written in this book. 
So uh, it's going to be. Yeah, I mean, even even though that there were some characters that she had eventually um, gotten inspirations for during uh, her childhood, like if you remember Cheese from Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, in which she was like really quirky and weird and out there. In the interview with Rob Paulson, she did mention that um, you know she did get some inspirations of um, you know somebody that she knew uh, that was in her father's boarding home, who was kind of like a person who acted like a six-year-old. So. Yeah, she did pull some elements of her life into her characters. Awesome. So, I mean, uh, it sounds like a really great book from, uh, from, what, I can, from what I can see. So, yeah, I mean, I, like mean, it. I haven't, I, I, there, another thing I haven't done yet, I haven't read Rob Paulson's book, which is a combination between um, him talking about his experiences with voiceover as well as going through his cancer treatment. I haven't read that book. Well, you know, like, uh, we're, we're in that point. Actually, this is a thing, actually, as well. Like, uh, I mean, since the pandemic, have you noticed that, like, a lot of people are starting to write books now? Like, you know, yes. like, uh, yeah, so, like, uh, I think we're in, and also on top of that as well, like, a lot of book, you know, publishers right now at the moment are, like, saying, look, we've got, like, piles of manuscripts, like, on our desks, like, you know, and we're still, like, trying to get, you know, through it all, and so it sounds to me like, you know, as they start to slowly start to filter through and the people start, like, releasing autobiographies and, like, you know, unauthorized biographies and, like, you know, stories about, you know, particular times in their lives, like, you know, uh, there's going to be, like, a, a lot of books coming out from, like, uh, you know, uh, the, the times that we grew up with, like, you know, going back all the way, actually, actually you know, to the to the seventies, you know, going all the way out up to now about you know uh, stuff that happened like you know uh, behind the scenes. Obviously, you know we you know, we said uh, you know talked about the, you know the other book, you know the um, you know uh, I'm glad my mom died, you know from uh, from Judy Carliff and things Jim like McCurry, that. Yeah. Jim McCurry, yeah, exactly. And so uh, you know there's going to be like a lot of tell-all books. There's going to be like books like you know about on the industry. There's going to be books on you know yeah there's going to be like tons and tons of books. Like you know uh, I probably recommend investing in a Kindle if like you know if you really want to like you know get into all of this stuff. I think, you know, at this point. But, uh, I mean, uh, again, I digress. But, uh, you know, it's good that, uh, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, Candy's going to be releasing this, uh, you know, uh, basically what could be, you know, uh, books of, like, you know, uh, you know, experience, you know, a lot of things in her life. So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. So. Yeah, for sure. So if you are interested in picking up a copy of the book, and if you're in the California area, then on October 15th, she is going to be doing a book signing over at the Barnes & Nobles at the Grove, L.A., so, yes, I would recommend that you uh, check it out because uh, Yvette Nicole Brown is going to be moderating that and you can be able to have the book signed by Candy herself. So, yeah, I would definitely check that out if you're interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, uh, if you know, Thanksgiving's coming up. So, like, uh, you know, if you need some extra ammunition to uh, about, about your crazy uncle, if he's not too ranting and raving about Trump and he says, well, the Reagan years is like, well, you can pull out your book and tell him about <laughs> how terrible, you know, men, men, mental health was in California during that time. So there you uh, go. There you go. Like, you know, <laughs> nice Thanksgiving present. So <laughs> I hope you're happy, Uncle Mark. <laughs> Like, uh, there you go, Uncle Bob. Now you can stop talking about you know um, Reagan anymore because he did this to all the mental patients. Yeah, sit down, Uncle Joe. Just eat, eat your yams. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope you had your nice serving of humble pie. Oh God, politics is going to be so poisonous at this uh, this year's you know Thanksgiving yeah, tables. It, it sure re- is. It really is. Like, I'm know, excited. Yeah, you know, like. Uh, 
you know, like I, I guarantee someone like watching the listening to this podcast, like you know, uh, finally you know, gets the uh, you know, because like there's a lot of like popular stuff now, like even like you know, uh, mom and dad and like you know various other stuff, like you know, uh, uh, various sorry, various other family members now starting to get into, and it's like you know, oh hey, well like uh, like uh, you know, uh, I, I'm thinking of like you know. Uh, Watching this, that, and the other, you know, from uh, I, 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 I heard about that on uh, you know D23 this year from the Aaron and Patricia podcast, and like the uncle kind of says like, oh, that's all woke nonsense, you know, like it's just it's uh, yeah, <laughs> I can just see those scenarios playing out. Actually, yeah, yeah, okay. yep. passes over a message. That scenario is actually if you think you're gonna get that scenario this year, so uh, yeah. But, um, anyway, shall we move on to the Lumity shot? Yes, please. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, only one minute and ten seconds, which uh, I mean was <laughs> was enough to like you know uh, light up every uh, you know uh, you know usual suspect to do a reaction video. You know, I'm looking at you, Elijah, for <laughs> not so average fan girl, and I'm looking at you, Morgan Terry. Uh, yeah, yeah. So they all did reaction videos to that, and so um, they were pretty disappointed about how short it was. But uh, again, like I mean, it of was course cute. it's short. It's only a minute long, and that wasn't even the major plot synopsis of. Of the episode exactly and so um so for those of you who aren't watching it but want to like a play by play basically it's uh it's amity and lose go on a date and uh, anyway this is chibi amity and lose we should say in the chibi verse that's uh, you know from yes. that tv show so uh they first go off to go see a movie and uh, amity's about to kiss lose and uh, obviously she's disturbed by uh, the fact that uh, you know Ida is also in the same movie here so you know slurping her on a, on a soda and uh, that's distracting them and then, so they go off to have a dance somewhere, and, like, there's music playing, and then uh, King, uh, you know, hijacks the mic before any further lumidy happens and uh, starts, you know, screaming down it and stuff. So then they decide to go on a um, a boat, you know, a paddle boat trip, and uh, but uh, before they can try and kiss at that time, uh, you know, a, a, a water monster comes up, which I think was supposed to be, like, Loch Ness, but I think they animated it as water instead. I don't know. But uh, then, finally, they get back to the Owl House, and uh, Luz gets to give... Uh, um, uh, Amity a peck on the cheek, and then uh, Hootie basically does like a, a heart shaped, you know, uh, uh, bird worm thing around them, and that's the episode ends. Yes. So yeah, so that's it basically. So well, um, yeah, I mean, but that's like only one part of a long episode featuring the characters from Big City Greens and the characters from Amphibia who are trying to host the Chibiverse, which basically, uh, if you're familiar with House of Mouse, it's basically where you have the Disney characters and they're holding up a nightclub and they're, um, you know, having all these Disney characters gathered together and then they're showing off the classic Disney shorts. Well, think of it something like that, in which you have all the characters from the current Disney Channel shows and they're putting together these shorts to show to the viewers. So that's basically what it is. And there are several shorts that were shown, but this one in particular was the one that stood out, one, because it's the Owl House, and two, because it features Lumity. So yeah, a lot of people are going to basically just watch that alone and not even remotely care about what happens in the rest of the stuff. I, I tried to watch the second episode, really, of Chibi-verse, and uh, so, I mean, like, uh, you know, obviously it's hosted by, you know, Sprig and Amid, sorry, Sprig and, uh, and Boonjoy, and uh, then also the people from Big City Greens, but uh, I mean, like, uh, I don't know, like, I just couldn't get really engaged with it, really. Like, maybe it's because, uh, you know, obviously we were doing this show, and obviously there's some other things going on that day, but uh, I don't know, like, uh, maybe I'll probably, like, at some point when I get some free time, I will, like, stop, you know, probably like, give the Chibi-verse. But either way, like, uh, I like how the Chibi-verse actually starts off. Like, it's, it's so reminiscent of the Animaniacs when you look at it. 
Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, even I said, wow, I was wondering the, the Animaniacs um, vibe was all over this theme song. I was wondering if Randy Rogel wrote the theme song, but no, he didn't. It was um, the composer of uh, Ghost and Molly McGee and various other Disney Channel shows that, you know, came up with the theme song. So, yeah, I was really surprised by, you know, just how self-aware they were and how crazy and zany and wacky and uh, just catchy the song was and then afterwards you know when you get to the main show it's basically just oh here are the Disney Channel characters and they're smaller and they're more crazy and lively and they're talking like they're actually hosting this big show for you to tune into so yeah I mean that's the gist of it and yeah it does definitely remind me a little bit of House of Mouse but at least with House of Mouse it actually had a storyline and then the shorts came secondary but this is the other way around in which the shorts are the main plot and then the other stuff that's happening is secondary so yeah it's whether you would actually like the um, the premise of the show or not yeah so um, I mean uh, somewhere down the line I will give Chibi vs. Chance but uh, for the meantime it's, it's not high on my priority list as far as, as far as I go so yeah no we, I mean Aaron has like plenty of other Disney Channel shows to watch I mean he just finished marathoning through Gummy Bears we were watching DuckTales and Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers when I was over in England so yeah, yeah. I mean, there's plenty of other things to watch oh believe me there is a ton still like you know like I don't even got to Phineas and Ferb like you know I'm, I'm even, even there yet you're long ways you away go. from yeah. Phineas Oh well, my! Well, my Disney Plus subscription renewals. What is it like in three months? Like you know, it's just like it's just this. Uh, yeah. Grave. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and in the meanwhile, if you do want to see the Lumity short on its own, then it's on the Disney Channel YouTube channel, so you can go check it out. Cool. Right, so uh, shall we move on to uh, the trailer for Bleach, uh, Thousand Year Blood War? Um, so uh, you've had a chance to look at this, so uh, I think yes, I'll, I did. I'll, I'll give you the lead on this. So. Okay, so Bleach, the Thousand Year Blood War. So I have known about Bleach ever since the 2000s. So I have always um, tuned into it every single week when I was in college. And I was watching this alongside with uh, various other shows like Naruto and um, Full Metal Alchemist and various others. So for those who don't know what the show is about, it's created by Nuriyuki Abe. It's the show about a 15-year-old named Ichigo Kurosaki. And he becomes a substitute soul reaper when Rukia Kuchiki risks her life to protect him from a hollow. A Hollow is kind of like a demon ghost lost soul monster that um, is invisible to the human world, but soul reapers who come from another part of the world, known as soul society, are able to kill them off right before they reach over to humanity. And uh, Ichigo just so happens to get the powers of a soul reaper when Rukia was injured and he got her um, abilities to fight off these soul reapers. And then uh, due to multiple circumstances that I'm not going to get into, um, you know, Ichigo becomes the new soul uh, reaper, and he basically, alongside with his friends, Oruhime, Chad, and um, Ishida, basically fight off these soul reapers, go over to the soul society, and fight off various other creatures and stuff like that. So... Um, the manga actually completed uh, not too long ago. It actually was finished around, um, I think it was like around 2018 or 2019 was when the manga was finished. But the anime um, was not. It actually completed around 2012. And the last arc, which is the Blood, uh, the Thousand Year Blood War, was never animated until 
<laughs> just literally an announcement came in saying we're going to animate it. So for the first time in over a decade, we're finally going to get the complete um, story arc of Thousand Year Blood War animated. And they're bringing back the original voice actors of the anime, both Japanese and I'm sure English once it comes out. And I'm sure that um, once it comes out on Adult Swim or maybe Toonami or something like that, it'll probably be really, really big. So uh, let me tell you about what the story arc is going to, um, you know, entail, because let's just say it's a lot. I mean, it's pretty complicated with the story, especially for those who have not tuned into it. So... Um, yeah, basically the 1,000-year-old uh, blood story arc uh, is basically that you have the last bit of these rebellious uh, soul reavers, and they're going off into the soul society, and so it's up to um, Ichigo and the gang to basically rescue soul society, and there's this massive war that's happening, and, you know, instigating the 1,000-year blood war, so this is the final arc in the entire Bleach manga. And it basically concludes the entire series right here. So it'll be coming out on October 22nd on TV Tokyo. I'm sure that maybe it'll come out on Crunchyroll and other uh, streaming sites that you can be able to tune into. So yeah, I would say you know, for those who have been wanting to see it finally animated and not just having to read your manga chapters, then here you go. This is the opportunity for you to check it out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, like, uh, yeah, Bleach is like, you know, uh, when I people that talk about anime, they at least start mentioning Bleach. So, like, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's massive. It's, I mean, it's, it's it a is a huge, huge series, yeah. Well, 16 seasons, yeah, definitely huge. <laughs> so, it's, uh, oh, I, I mean, that's nothing. I mean, you want to talk about One Piece? You want to talk about Pokemon? Those are series. Oh, oh yeah, that well, well, those I, are huge. well, isn't Pokemon like, you know, um, they, I mean, Pokemon in itself is huge in regards to, like, the anime, but, I mean, Pokemon is, like, broken up. It's like different shows pretty much isn't yeah, it? yeah okay that's true it is broken up into different yeah, shows yeah. I, I, would, I would argue that you know not one uh you know were season of uh, unless you know some people are gonna tell me wrong probably but uh, i don't think there's one season of pokemon i think that goes over 16 seasons like bleach does i don't think mm. right like, but... i mean it, it's kind of hard to say because one piece has actually lasted a lot longer and it's it has over like 1200 episodes and bleach only has 366 yeah well i mean one piece probably does but i mean in regards to pokemon i think you know if you if you if, if we if we're going to like incorporate like every single episode of like pokemon for every single show then yeah i think i probably would argue that you know where pokemon's going going on for a hell of a lot longer than bleach has but I mean, yeah. in regards to like you know a solid show where you have to basically dedicate a lot of time to it, I think uh, you know Bleach definitely stands up there with like you know with a with a. Oh the yeah, you, you have to watch and... every episode of Bleach in order for you to understand what's happening. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, um, yeah, cancel your date plans. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, it'll it'll take you months just to marathon through all of Bleach, and now that One Thousand Year Blood War is going to be coming out, it's going to be taking quite a long time to finish that too. So yeah, seriously, cancel your plans because this is all you're going to be doing <laughs> anyway um let's move from something good to something pretty terrible so um the, the newest disney live action remake pinocchio has been released by disney now um you've always i said before that i was willing to give this a chance well um there's the chance and the people have said it's a soulless cash grab and an unnecessary remake so it's like 
Oh yeah, not a, not oh, a good start yeah. for you know. Like, here's the thing: I, I I really thought that maybe Pinocchio. I was looking at it thinking maybe also with Tom Hanks involved as well. I thought you know maybe they're going to give this a bit of care and maybe they're going to do something you know good with this. But nope, it doesn't look like it's. Uh, and by the way, I've not seen uh, the Pinocchio remake yet, so I can't really tell you for sure. Uh, like uh, what, how how it's how it's gonna go when I watch it, but uh, good grief! All the people are currently you know uh, taking that bullet for me now. Right now, I think it's just it's uh, it's not working out too well for them. Yeah, I, and you know this is supposed to be another attempt from Robert Zemeckis. I feel really bad for Zemeckis now because over the past like. Uh, over you know, over the past ten years, he's just been doing like major disappointments, box office failures, underperforming films, or films that have been just remotely unappealing for a lot of people. I mean, we talked about the 2020 adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Witches, and we talked about, like, wow, that movie was such a disappointment. So now we have this, and this is supposed to be Disney. This is supposed to be a classic based off of uh, a weird Italian story by Carlo Caradini. And you would think that maybe, you know, this is the same guy who brought us Back to the Future, who brought us um, Castaway, who brought us Forrest Gump, who brought us Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Maybe he can be able to do a an interesting spin on it. Nope. It's the same problem that we said about Roald Dahl's The Witches. It's basically style over substance. He does the pretty 3D animation, but characters and story are just secondary. Yeah. By the way, um, there's a reference to Who Framed Roger Rabbit in this movie. Oh my god. Okay, so somebody on Twitter posted up a clip of the clock scene, you know, where Jiminy Cricket sees all the, um, you know, the cuckoo clocks and, you know, they're basically, like, going off at a certain time. So... Uh, in the original film, it's basically, like, pretty disturbing images of, like, oh, here's a hunter shooting down a bird, and uh, here's a um, person chopping a turkey's neck, here's a mother spanking her child, here's a drunk guy. So they changed it instead to Disney references to uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Sleeping Beauty and... Um, yeah, a lot of people were saying this is just, it like, it feels manipulative. It no makes sense. Like, you know, uh, when you put reference, I mean, you know when Pixar do their references? Like, remember in uh, Monsters, Inc., when uh, they had the uh, the Nemo reference, and Nemo was, like, you know, projected as a toy? That makes sense. You know when you have, like, the, the that ball that's around, or, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, when you have, like, you know, the uh, the round ball, like, you know, that makes sense. When you have, like, you know, the, um, um... The Pizza Planet the, the, the Pizza Planet Yeah, every time that's been in there, that makes sense. But, uh, you know, um, these references make no sense. As, uh, as no. As and like, oh, by the way, there is a, a bit when uh, Honest John, uh, you know, he does like the whole, like, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to stick my face in the camera. Like, you know, that's not going to annoy you like, enough in modern movies. And uh, no. then, like, you know, he says, oh, hey, you know, Pinocchio, you could be an influencer. It's like, you know, there is no fucking social media in this time period. Like just it's so oh, and let's not forget about the monstro scene in which when you have um you know Pinocchio you know not only you know he's not the one helping rowing the boat like he did in the original no he's in the back of the boat kicking his feet like he's a propeller going faster than the whale itself and monstro he has an evil cackling laugh he has big giant teeth and he roars and all that kind of stuff it's like he's a whale I didn't see any of that to be honest with you like I saw like some of like uh, you know um, uh, 
the you know some of the the cruddy stuff that uh, Jamboriki and a few other people were complaining about. But uh, oh, yeah, and um, Spark even said that uh, they changed the beer in Pleasure Island to root beer. Um, that makes no sense. Yeah, that makes no sense because the whole purpose of it being beer is that you have these kids who are troublemakers and they're willing to smoke cigars and drink alcohol because they're bad and they feel like they're adults that can be able to do that kind of stuff right before they turn into donkeys. By changing it into root beer, it defeats the purpose. Yeah. By the way, um, they also changed something else as well. Instead of like having uh, the... Um uh, the Russian dancers, they actually, yeah, they, they play, they, instead of Russians, they actually de decide to put them in as Ukrainian. So, obviously because of the war and stuff like that. So, like, and instead of, like, a background of Moscow, it's now a background of Kiev. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, so, uh, yeah, so they made, they made that change, which, uh, I don't know if uh, that was necessary or not. I have no idea, but, uh, yeah. yeah it's just, it's, I mean, let, let's just read off some of the reviews that these critics are saying, because, oh boy. Uh, okay, let's start off with CNN. Even taking it as a given that Disney's animated classics will receive live-action makeovers eventually, Pinocchio feels like an unnecessary exercise, a movie so flat it never sparks to life and barely feels like it's making the leap into a different medium. Tom Hanks and director Robert Zemeckis' reunion should have been a source of curiosity, but their little puppet made of wood is in a movie that's not so good. Yeah, it's just... It's, uh... This, um, again, like, and also on top of that as well, like, you can just see, um, you know, the audience is also in agreement as well. Like, you know, the audience scores only 37%, along with the Tomatometer, which is 30%. Like, you know, no one wanted to see this. No, nobody wanted yeah, to see this, movie, this. Yeah. There's a meme currently going around, like, you know, where, when he appeared in, like, uh, The Simpsons, and, like, he said, Oh, hi, I'm Tom Hanks, so the Disney Corporation's lost all its credibility, so it's borrowing some of mine. Like, you know, it's just... <laughs> oh, my it's, God. Yeah. Like, uh. That is, uh, so... Uh, I'm actually gonna look at. Uh, I'm gonna look at all well, the I mean, I have actually. some other ones while you look. So yeah, I'm, I'm, looking, um, at, I'm looking at the top critics actually, and how uh, how how it uh, st stacks up on the top critics. And like, yeah, most of them most of them do not have any good things good thing to say about this movie. Absolutely like, not. I have a I have a review from the Hollywood Reporter. Um, but some substandard CGI is small potatoes in comparison to Pinocchio's over lack of spark. Very little in this movie clicks, and highlights such as the I've Got No Strings number aren't potent enough to keep us involved. Disney isn't likely to make this year's Pinocchio vanish from the menu of its streaming service anytime soon, but they'd be smart not to let the 1940 animated adaptation drop in below of search results. Well, I think if people are watching it on trending, I think it's more for ironic reasons rather than actually intending to, like, you know, uh, I guarantee you they're probably like just looking at this and laughing at it, probably. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, oh let's, take, uh, let's take a look to see what uh, Cartoon Brew has to say about oh, this. Oh, no. So... Cartoon Brew's going to be... I can probably imagine what they're going to say about it already. I can yeah. hear it in my head. So Okay. Um, fans of the Pinocchio story certainly have and will have other opportunities to see the marionette in action. And most critics suggest either watching Disney's 1940 animated film, Matteo Garoni's Oscar-nominated 2019 remake, or holding out to see what Guillermo del Toro has to offer when Netflix launches his stop-motion version this year. Many of the reviews on why this hybrid remake even exists in the first place. On Rotten Tomatoes, the movie currently sits at 32% critic score, and Metacritic is 41%. I'm going to skip over to what they say about it and not what the other critics say, but I'll get to that in a minute. Whether or not the 1940 original is unbeloved, or it'd certainly be debated by many critics, but one thing's for certain is that the 2022 iteration is worth skipping, especially as anyone with a Disney Plus account can just watch the original. Oh, yeah, watch the original. 
Like, you know, like, it's yeah. just this. It's got, yeah, some questionable let's, let's a... it's got some questionable references in it, but, like, you know, at least it's still fun. Yeah. Empire says, Pinocchio is a puppet-sized puppet, just like the original was. <laughs> a cute, wide-eyed, tiny little thing, and he looks magnificent. It's incredible work, absolutely the film's selling point. Yet it's not a persuasive enough reason for this film to even exist. IndieWire says, Joseph Gordon-Levitt makes an excellent Jiminy Cricket, even if his antenna is a little too cockroach-like, and the scenes of the animated Cricket exploring the workshop are some of the best cinematic moments. LA Times says, for a movie about being real, one would be hard to press, hard press to pinpoint any physical elements on screen. The entirety of Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio appears to have been shot against a green screen. The subpar digital visuals include overblown lighting in the day scenes and poorly rendered integration between the characters and the environments, especially noticeable near the end of the film during set pieces that take place in the water. Elizabeth Whiteman from The Rap says, the, less, the, the, the effects are not seamless, and sometimes they're downright awkward. Uh, better movies, including Roger Rabbit, do this film uh, no favors, but the visuals, they're vibrant enough to keep the kids watching. Variety says, something feels particularly unnecessary about Pinocchio, which revisits every beat of the 1940 animated classic just months before Guillermo del Toro is set to unveil what he appears to be doing a different interpretation of Carlo Collodi's 19th century source material, and two years after Matteo Garone offered his own Oscar-nominated spin. Uh, so yeah, basically, they said the same thing. It's unnecessary, it's awkward, the CGI doesn't look very good, and also, you could be watching better versions of it elsewhere. I mean, literally, just last year alone, there were like, what, three incarnations of Pinocchio? This year alone, we got a video game called Lives of P, and yeah, Guillermo del Toro is doing his own take on Pinocchio that's coming out later this year, so... Oh, man, this is the second time that we mentioned Guillermo del Toro and Robert Zemeckis in the same conversation, because as you remember, he was supposed to be the one directing Roald Dahl's The Witches, but then the plans fell through, and then Robert Zemeckis took it instead, and then everybody just made the critique on The Witches saying, why didn't anybody else take this movie? Robert Zemeckis didn't deserve this um, project because there were so many better other people who could have done this a lot better, and... They mentioned Guillermo del Toro constantly because they knew that he was originally supposed to do this movie. So once again, they're saying, okay, Robert Zemeckis, uh, you're not going to be the one to do this version of Pinocchio that we're interested in. We're waiting on Guillermo del Toro. So yeah, it's kind of rough to see Robert Zemeckis getting his ass beat by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. I mean, uh, some people on Twitter are saying that uh, it's better than the, uh, live, the uh, uh, live action remake of Mulan, but that's not saying much. You know. Well, I mean, that was bad for a different reason. That's because of the controversy of it being filmed in a location where they were doing actual, yeah, um, like you know, human rights abuses of from... uh, the week of the Uyghur people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The concentration camp of the Uyghur people, and then the main actress who, um, you know, advocated for the Hong Kong police. So, yeah, that's 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 controversial for a different reason. But as for like the movie itself, I mean, it didn't go through controversies. Robert Zemeckis didn't do anything wrong, as far as we know. It was just an uninspired cash grab that didn't need to exist. That was what the problem was. Yeah, like, it's just, it's, uh, uh, like, uh, one person says here, uh, uh, Pinocchio has to be the most soulless shit that I've ever witnessed in the year. <laughs> Okay. Then. Yeah, I mean it's it's true because I even saw various lists of like you know best and worst live action Disney remakes, and Pinocchio is now in the bottom of the list. Wow. 
It hasn't even been like what a week and Pinocchio is already regarded as like one of the worst. That is bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's... the worst part is, as we mentioned in the first half of Aaron and Patricia, they're doing more. The Little Mermaid, Peter Pan and Wendy, um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. They're still going. They're still making this stuff. Yeah, like uh, what's the? Um, let's look at the box office the for Pinocchio. I have a look. So, uh, I mean, right. it's going to be hard to see what the box office is because it's a Disney Plus exclusive. It looks like it's got a box office from what I can see. It's, uh, I mean, I guess they have released it somewhere because right now there's a there's a number that I'm seeing here on Google for about 164 million dollars, but uh, I don't know. That, that might not be. No, I don't think that's that. The what's the Poke, uh, the Pinocchio Pokemon? Uh, Pinocchio 2022 uh, box office. I mean, is there a uh, but how much money? How many, how many, oh, it's so it took 100. It took 164 million dollars for them to make Pinocchio. From uh, from from what I can see, so uh, I mean um, that's how much money they actually spent on the uh, this the movie that they put on straight to Disney Plus. So interesting to see if they actually get that mo- get that money back from like all is you know I'm not sure if they're going to be like expecting a Disney Plus subscriptions to be sold uh, for Pinocchio or not. I imagine they would be, but so uh, mind you, there's probably other content that you could probably do that to there too. So oh uh, well, mind you, maybe probably was a, if it is a Disney Plus exclusive, maybe it's a great thing they didn't put it in theaters. So, uh, could you, could you yeah, imagine? I guess I want to leave it off with uh, two more reviews because, oh man, <laughs> it, it just as the as the point been made at this point, you know, Disney needs to stop making these uh, these uh, again, like I said in the first in the first part of the show, like they need to stop making these movies, you know, they need to start doing original stuff, like uh, do what Pixar's doing, for goodness sake. Yeah, exactly. You know, do original projects, please, Disney. I mean, we know that you're doing them. We know that Wish is going to be coming out, and we know that Strange World is going to be coming out. But seriously, like, I I mean, I I know that this is where a lot of money is being made, but still, it's like, nobody wants this. Um, But let me just leave it off with two more things, and then we can just leave it off. So, okay. Uh, Polygon says this. The 2022 Pinocchio does have its unforgettable moments, but they stand out for all the wrong reasons. It'll be difficult to forget the image of Pinocchio staring at a pile of horse manure and touching it out of curiosity. It's a gross uh, that, image. Oh, in- that, that happens in the movie? Yes. What a metaphor. <laughs> It's a gross image in a film that otherwise doesn't add into the humor, a gag that wasn't in the original and has no purpose in the remake, and a weirdly unnecessary cost in a film that struggles to merge CGI and live-action elements. Oh, I'm sorry, but- that, that, that whole thing sounds something like you get in an angry video game, uh, uh, angry video game nerd review, not a not a Disney movie. Like, uh, well, last time we, I think last time we had like cartoon characters playing with shit. I think it was probably like uh, eight crazy nights. Yeah, and that was a, that was an animated movie, not a not a live action. Yeah, like, it, can, it, you imagine, can you imagine they did a live action remake of Eight Crazy Nights? Oh God! Oh God! Adam Sandler's got another. Like, uh, It'll be the worst thing that'll happen since Jack and Jill. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but let me just finish this off. Um, Pinocchio 2022 is a top-to-bottom embarrassment with no good reason to exist, so it might as well feature images with an equal lack of creative logic. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's, yeah. it's not good. 
Anyway, and then finally, I want to end it off with Paste Magazine, whose literal title of this article was Let Pinocchio Be the End of Disney's Lazy CGI Remakes. It won't be. I like it. I know. It will not be. It won't even be close. Coming soon. Ariel. Yes, and coming soon after that, Snow White, and then coming soon after that, Peter Pan and Wendy. So, yes, we are definitely going into more Disney live-action remakes. It's not going to end anytime soon. So, yeah, sorry, Paste Magazine. I know that you wanted to, but no, it's not. Yeah. But yeah, I think let's just leave it right there. I'm surprised this isn't, isn't our end finally of this uh, of this part of the episode. Oh no, no, no. I mean, I wish it would be our end finally, but th- when you showed me th- what we're going to be talking about for end finally, I was shocked. Yeah. We needed to talk about that. Okay. Well, uh Anyway, before we get into that, um, USA Today uh, made, did the uh, USA Today's uh, For the Win has uh, ranks uh, 100 uh, greatest games of all time. So, uh, I mean, I guess we're not going to do all 100, I think. No, uh, we're not going to do all 100, but I would think that maybe we can do at least the top maybe 20? Um, tell you what, let's, uh, I mean, we've only got like, uh, maybe we've got like half an hour left, so maybe we'll probably like do, maybe let's do the top 10. And, uh, then okay, we'll, we'll do the top 10. Yeah. yeah okay. So we'll do the top 10 and uh, we'll see whether they deserve to have uh, been that high on the list or maybe even on the list at all. So, yeah, let's do that. So I'm going to go over to the top 10. So uh, if you want to look at all 100 of these games, then you know, go over to USA Today for the win and go check it out. Cool. So are you ready for this? Yep, I'm ready. Okay, at number 10, we have Bloodborne. Um, I've heard of it, but I've not played it, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I have not played it either. Uh, It says right here, Bloodborne takes us for a ride because the world is rich, thick like congealed blood. The cobbles, the viscera, everything is imposing and intimidating. Much more aggressive than other From Software games, Bloodborne is about pressing the advantage, using quick dodges, and interrupting attacks with hot lead from a Victorian-era firearms. So, yeah, it's basically like a Souls game. So if you've ever played Dark Souls or Demon Souls, then it's very similar to that. But it takes place in the Victorian era as opposed to, like, medieval times. Mm-hmm. All right, so number nine is Resident Evil 4. I do agree with this, actually. I mean, like, I mean, I think we could have a, maybe some other people will debate me on that. But Resident Evil 4 is, like, my favorite Resident Evil game. It really is. <laughs> And uh, yeah, like uh, it. Uh, you, basically, the, uh, the the story is that uh, you're playing as Leon Kennedy, and uh, he's uh, going to this uh, very um, uh, remote uh, part of Spain, and uh, finds out that uh, everyone in the village has been basically taken over by these uh, or these uh, parasitic creatures uh, that uh, are uh, in- investing them. And so um, it's up to him to figure out what's going on. And also, uh, the president's daughter has also been kidnapped, which is probably a pretty cliche thing, I guess you put in a video game, but uh, that's also part of that too. So. So um, yeah, uh, so yeah, like uh, it was. I love the functions of that. Like I played both both uh, the GameCube and I played both the uh, uh, the Nintendo Wii uh, version of the game. Originally, Resident Evil Four was only supposed to be a uh, GameCube exclusive, but uh, then eventually released it on other platforms. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, yeah, like uh, so I do like the Wii version quite a bit. Like I still got the Wii version somewhere, and uh, so maybe I'll play go out and play it again. But uh, yeah, yeah like, and it's... also announced that um, they're going to be doing the Resident Evil Four remake. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I'll be. Interested. I mean, if uh, so, are they remaking the game from scratch or they're just remastering yes. it? Yes, 
Oh. Yeah, they're remaking the game from scratch. You, you've, you've seen like the Resident Evil remake and Resident Evil 2 remake and Resident Evil 3 ma- remake. It's going to be along the lines of that. Mm, I'll, um, I'll reserve judgment when I see it, I think, and I'll compare it to the other one. So we'll see. All right, then. Cool. Okay, so number eight is Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Um, I didn't really get to Gold and Silver in the Pokemon games, I'll be honest with everybody. I really only got to, like, you know, I, I, there was Red and Blue, which were, like, the original ones. And uh, then, you know, it, then it kind of went off from there, really. And I think probably, like, the last game I probably, like, played, it, just out of curiosity, was probably Pokemon Go. I'll be honest with you. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I've only played, um, I played Pokemon Yellow, and then I think I played Pokemon Gold as well, but I've never played Heart Gold and Soul Silver. These are the remakes of Gold and Silver that came out in 2000. So it says here, despite the many flaws of the second generation of Pokemon, it is awfully remembered by many fans as their favorite. The remakes, Heart Gold and Soul Silver, do everything a good remake should be. They took the original games that are so beloved, the sprawling open world that expands two separate regions, and the best final boss in any game in the franchise and just made everything better. So, yeah, um, it's true because um, the thing that made uh, gold and silver so great was not only the introduction of the New World Johto, but they were also able to include the Kanto region. So you got to be able to, you know, do the entire thing all over again. You got to collect the eight badges from the old gym leaders. You got to go over to the old locations. You got to fight Team Rocket again. And you also got to fight Red up up in Mount Silver. So... I mean, originally, that was supposed to be the last game in the franchise. I mean, that was supposed to be, um, you know, the one that capped off the franchise, and that was going to be it. But then the series just became so popular that they just kept making it again and again and again with new installments and spinoff titles, and the anime kept going. And so, um, yeah, that it's still running about 25 years later. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, right. so number seven in this list is uh, Minecraft. Uh, yes, so it like, is Minecraft. By the way, I think, I mean, if we're going to say how influential games are and, like, how many people, like, I mean, billions of people have played Minecraft by now. So, like, you know, so this, you know, yeah, it does make sense that this is on the list. But, uh, I mean, again, like, I never really got into Minecraft. So whether I said it was, like, you know, one of the best games of all time, um, you know, uh, I couldn't tell you. But, uh, yeah, in regards to, like, how much influence it's had on the gaming industry and, like, uh, you know, how, and by the fact that it came from, like, an independent designer who basically made this game. And then after that, he just kind of like, took off on a thing of his own. And now this guys, you know, were, you know, living life pretty much, you know, of a, you know, a very basic game that he made. Like, you know, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it's like, it's one of the big success stories, I think, of, uh, yeah. of, uh, you know, of the gaming industry. Yeah, and Kids' Choice Awards is still nominating Minecraft as, like, the best game of the year. Yeah, and also, like, it made, it made um, um, you know, the main character also made uh, the Smash Brothers uh, uh, roster as well. Yeah, so. Steve, yeah. Yeah, Steve. Okay. Uh, All right. So number six is Skyrim. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. My brother would definitely argue that this is one of the best games. So like, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that either because I've uh, had uh, my my uh, someone from uh, my family tell me how good Skyrim actually is. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't played really much of the other Elder Scrolls games, so I haven't played Morrowind, I haven't played Oblivion, I haven't played Daggerwood, I haven't played Skyrim, so I don't know how it compares to all of those other games, but yeah, Skyrim is the one that has like expanded the world, and you got to do a lot of adventures and take down dragons and follow um, in quests and stuff like that, so I guess it really has gravitated to a lot of people, so... Yeah, if people are still playing it, and if um, it's being released constantly over and over again to newer platforms, then yeah, I guess that people are still wanting to, um, you know, give this a go, and people are still remembering it, so I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. 
All right, so number five is uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. Um, I agree, Mike. It was uh, so. It's probably like uh, I mean, my my favorite Zelda game of all time is uh, you know Ocarina of Time, but uh, Breath of the Wild definitely is up there. So, such an immersive game, like you know, one of the you know open world games that we really wanted for uh, Legend of Zelda. And so, like you you know, it's not the fact that you can uh, are stuck to like you know a linear like uh, uh, you know adventure. Like you know, you can go off and do like side quests. You can go off and like uh, you know go face off Ganon if you wanted to. Like you know if uh, you that is if you uh, were ready to kind of like you know up for that task but uh, you know it's just it's um yeah it's like it's an amazing uh, uh, you know experience you know on the Nintendo Switch and dare I say it was uh, you know one of the big games that's you know sh- you know uh, got uh, Nintendo Switch to where it is now where it's like one of the you know highest selling game consoles you know of the modern era so yeah. yeah, and also, um, you know, it was basically Nintendo's take on, you know, these exploration, um, you know, action RPGs that became really popular with the likes of Skyrim and with the likes of various other games that um, people felt that um, when, um, what was it, Skyward Sword came out, that it was very limiting and people couldn't explore as much and it was too linear. And um, they took the complaints of that and they just basically made um, Breath of the Wild and then people loved it. Mm-hmm. And now it makes me wonder about what they're going to do this, with the sequel. Yeah, well, uh, I think, um, yeah, well, the idea is that they're actually going to go find, like, you know, the origins of Calamity Ganon. So, like, uh, they're actually going to go into the, like, you know, another world. So, uh, I think those are going to be, like, a whole other world to explore, I'd probably imagine. So, uh, yeah. That, that... It's not it's not often that Nintendo does sequels to Zelda. Well, they, 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 Breath of the Wild was something else. Like, keep in mind, like, you know, Ocarina of Time was huge at the time as well. And then after that came Majora's Mask. So, yeah, you know. it wasn't like called Ocarina of Time 2 or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, it's. I mean, uh, the last I, time that I remember a 2 in a Zelda game was like Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's going to be called Breath of the Wild 2. I think it's going to be called something else. But, uh, you know, it's. But uh, now it's called Breath of the Wild 2. So, yeah, exactly. That's what we're like, calling At least it. that's what we saw in the trailers. Yeah. All right. So, number four is The Witcher 3. Um, again, I'm not play The Witcher, so I can't really tell you. I have not played The Witcher either, so yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't even seen the Netflix series either, so I can't really say anything about that. Okay, number three is Metal Gear Solid. Oh, definitely, Karajima's baby. Like you know, uh, it's just it's um yeah, it's about Solid Snake uh, sneaking into a facility that uh, has uh, basically been hijacked by a bunch of crazy characters, and uh, they want the re- the remains of Big Boss in order for like you know their bio experiments, and uh, they said they're gonna they've got this uh, you know hijacked this thing called Metal Gear, uh, which uh, they will basically unleash onto the world if uh, they don't get their way, and uh, yeah, so uh, S- uh, Snake has to go in, and it's not just like you know uh, your basic uh, you know um, uh, you know sneak in and fight and stuff like that. There's like a huge story going going on. You know where one of the people that you thought you could tra- rely on is actually you know. Um, one of the main bad guys. I won't spoil it for you if you never play Metal Gear Solid, but uh, you know it's uh, you know there's like huge twists and turns and like you know there's whole story going along and uh, it's uh, it's not just this like the sneak up and shoot and things like that. Like you know you got to really use your head in this stuff and that yeah, as well. Exactly. Like, yeah. and, and, and in one of the boss battles, like one of the boss battles just uh, before I, you know uh, um, is that um, you know I never thought you know like uh, in one of the boss battles you never think to actually change the control socket to actually you know uh, fight uh, you know this particular boss uh, and I won't spoil that for you either. I would say just go if you get a chance to play Metal Gear Solid, go out and play it. Seriously, it's such a good game. Yeah, you know, like it's, a, it's a great game. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting that 
um, you know, we even got this game at all because the first two Metal Gear games were released exclusively in Japan. I mean, we did get an NES version of Metal Gear, but Kojima had nothing to do with it. And then there was Snake's Revenge, which is not even a Metal Gear game at all because um, that was when Kojima didn't even do a Metal Gear game at all. He was just like doing another game and then all of a sudden he saw Snake's Revenge was released and then he said, I could do a better sequel than that. And so we got Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So um, the fact that this game even came out is a miracle. And the fact that it became such a huge phenomenon just speaks about what it was able to do with stealth and what it was able to do with storytelling and what it was able to do with character progression and continuing storylines that finish off with like multiple games. So, yeah, I mean, it became massive for a reason. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go over to number two. At number two, we have Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Um, well, for number two, um, well, if you're a Castlevania fan, I think you'd definitely be saying yes. I mean, you probably want to put it as number one, I think, if you were. But, uh, I mean, I mean, so it's a th- very influential game. I mean, this changed the reign of not only the Castlevania franchise, but it also introduced a new genre of video games called the Metroidvania. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's influential for those reasons alone, that it became a major stickling points for a lot of uh, Castlevania fans because they like the classic Castlevanias. They like the ones where they get to play as either Simon or Trevor and they get to be able to walk you know, side-scrolling and whipping bad guys and, you know, fighting off a whole bunch of monsters. But then when Symphony of the Night came out, it became really, really popular and so it was all about exploring the castle, finding the power-ups and taking down baddies and then doing it all over again. And I know a lot of people felt that that kind of, like, ruined Castlevania. And, you know, you have your own interpretation of how you feel about it but for me it revitalized it because um you know this game was able to bring a new tale of castlevania that we've never seen before i mean it's basically the basis of what we have for the netflix series it's a combination of not only castlevania 3 but also with symphony of the night as well so we kind of have this game to thank for putting castlevania into the mainstream and also for bringing us a genre that's become a staple on indie games so of course i mean in a time in which when um you know everybody was moving into like the 3d um you know graphics and everything needs to be 3d and 2d was out and this game was released in 2d 25 years later it still looks amazing by playstation standards while everything else like tomb raider and crash bandicoot and spyro and even metal gear solid look pretty rough by today's standards yeah but uh, you know like uh, again uh, i mean i take nothing away from castlevania and uh, you know this is this game was very influential in like moving the game forward and uh, but mind you like i mean i gotta be honest like the last castlevania game i probably played was castlevania 4 on the snes so uh, that was my that was my last adventure into castlevania so i'm, I'm pretty behind I think in regards to that. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to have a big Castlemania marathon. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, the final one in this list is Shadow of the Colossus. Um, I've never played this game, so I can't I've, tell you. Um, I've seen this game from afar. I knew people who played it, um, both in college and, you know, even in my circles of friends online. But, um, I see, I can understand why some people really like it. I mean, the story is very limited. You are basically a guy named Wander who has to save your love from death. And you, um, get told by this demonic looking dude that the only way that, um, your girlfriend could be revived 
revive to life if you kill off 16 colossus and you basically wander around this huge world and you take down these massive monsters and yeah i think that from what i understand the gameplay was just like really um revolutionary in terms of like being able to fight off these gigantic monsters which was really uh, impressive by playstation 2 standards and also that the story is very philosophical or something like that so yeah i i think that um you know this company that also made ico and then eventually um various other small games i think that they were able to um you know push the boundaries of like interactive storytelling and gameplay so i don't know if it deserves to be like number one but i I would say it's a pretty decent game. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, there's this whole 100 list. I've got to be honest with you. I take some big issues with it, to be honest with you. Like, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's their opinion. I understand that. Yeah, but, like, you know, uh, what? Uh, they've got, uh, I mean, uh, this is an all-time list. Keep this in mind. Yes. So, um, they got Doom 2016 as uh, 23. Well, you wouldn't have Doom 2016 without Doom. So, I mean, does that have, like, any influential uh, power at all? Like, uh, they I mean, have I, I you, I, the reason why I think that Doom 2016 actually does have a little bit of influence was A, it actually brought Doom into a new generation of fans. B, it was able to do something really interesting in terms of a remake. And you know how normal remakes would either stray away from the original source material or follow beat for beat with the original source material. And Doom was able to align with itself by sticking to its original roots while at the same time do some I new don't, things I don't, with well, it. I don't argue with you with that but i mean keep this in mind this is an all time list all time like you know this isn't like just recently this is like you know where for instance i probably imagine all time probably means since the advent of like you know the game console was ever introduced oh, you mean like, uh, yeah like uh, the magnavox odyssey yeah. or the atari yeah, 2600 yeah, that, that, that's my idea of it maybe maybe uh you know usa today probably got a different idea but uh, i mean they got number 24 is half-life alex like that's before half-life I mean, like, uh, it's yeah, just... A, that's, a, that's a virtual reality game. I know, like, not even... Not even you know, how many... Uh, I might be wrong, but, you know, VR headsets aren't, like, you know, being, you know, selling, like, hotcakes at the minute. As far as I'm aware. No, not really. It, it's too expensive for people to yeah. justify on purchasing that. Yeah. Uh, Smash Bros. Melee's uh, at number 28. I mean, like, but then, obviously, you know, Smash, I mean, I guess you could say Smash Bros. Melee's better than Smash Bros. On the, on the N64. It yeah. is. I mean, remember when we played Smash Bros. when we were at the game shop and yeah. uh, when you were visiting me for uh, Thanksgiving? I was playing that for literally the very first time. I had never played the 64 version before, and man, was it rough to get into. Especially when uh, when I was in college, that Melee was all we ever played during tournaments. Yeah. Um, number 37 is Legend of Zelda Rock Arena of Time. Um, I'll probably put it, put it a bit higher, but that's just my own bias. Uh, Super Mario Brothers... I mean, would you, I mean, I'm actually curious. Would you put it above... Um, Breath of the Wild because Breath of the Wild is no, number five. Not yet, no. I mean, again, we, I would have to do. I would have to do my own list, I think, in order to uh, make that make that determination. I definitely wouldn't do that. Uh, number forty-one is uh, Super Mario Brothers three, which you know that influenced a movie. I mean, for better for worse. And uh, yeah, so, uh, Sonic three and Knuckles only makes forty-two. Um, mm -hmm. Link's Awakening is at forty-three. Um, yeah. Let's have a look. Super Mario sixty-four is at number forty-six. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Let's have a look. Where, where else are we uh, in the, in this hundred list? I'm just having a sky like um, Hotline Miami is at number fifty three. I mean, like, I mean, why the Hotline Miami actually belongs in the hundred list? I'm not too sure. I mean, like, I'll have to talk about that. Um, Phoenix Wright's and Ace Attorney's in this list at number sixty. Okay, um, Kirby Superstars in this list, and I think that's the uh, is that the Super Nintendo game? Yeah, that's the new Super Nintendo version. Yeah, yeah. Undertale's at sixty three. I mean, like, uh, Metroid Dreads at sixty four. 
uh, by the way. And mm-hmm. uh, let's have a look. Uh, there's some Final Fantasy games, which I agree with probably me. Rocket League's at 70. I mean, I know a lot of people that play Rocket League. And, like, mm-hmm. uh, it's a pretty big game. Um, Wii Sports is 73. Yeah, I guess I could say, I could say it's uh, in the top 100. Um, some other games. Uh, GoldenEye's at 80. I mean, like, today's standard, like, you know, in regards to, like, uh, well, also other first-person shooters. Oh, wow, like, uh, I'm probably going through this entire... Splinter Cell Chaos Theory's in this list. Yeah, uh, Splinter Cell Chaos Theory's, like, one of my favorite uh, games. Uh, Streets of Rage 2 is at 88. Um, Fortnite's at, ni- at uh, 92. Uh, Mega, Man's at- Mega Man 2 is at 95. Oh... Wow, they had the balls to not put Doom. I mean, hang on a second. Doom 2016. Yeah, Doom is not in this list. Nope. How the 2016 can- version of is is in, but like, yeah, um, yeah, I don't agree with this list. Uh, totally. Like, uh, I think that I think it has some. I think it has some problems. So, yeah. Well, again, this is based off of their personal opinion, so we're not going to judge against them. But, uh, yeah, I-, I think that there could have been plenty of other games that would have been on the list or maybe even higher or lower. But, um, yeah, I would say that take it with a grain of salt. Definitely. And finally, um, we are going to talk about uh, the trailer for uh, The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales. And uh, this, f- f- people would think that is uh, something that is... Uh, is Disney related, and uh, but uh, this is uh, a, a, not not a um, you know a, an awful live action movie. This is actually uh, probably awful for like all the wrong reasons. And uh, so this follows Abigail Disney and uh, all the Disney cast members and their struggles to make end meets in uh, the documentary, and uh, and also also done by a uh, daughter of uh, Roy E. Disney as well yes well i mean the the trailer opens up it's like oh you know here's the disneyland resort and here's the people walking around and enjoying themselves and oh uh you know it's like this is the happiest place on earth and then all of a sudden you have abigail disney basically saying that's what they want you to think and then she starts interviewing people who've worked there and they start talking about like you know all the struggles that they've done like the first question that they asked which is a major shock um how many people who have worked in disneyland have slept in their car in the last couple of years and most of them raised their hand yeah it's just it's uh we've been saying this for a while like you know after the pandemic came in remember when uh, uh, uh olivia hack went there for the first time and uh you know all the Di- they said that uh, you know all the disney cast members aren't laughing aren't happy smiley anymore like you know they just had enough and, uh, you know, so I think it's, uh, you know, the pandemic made things even worse for people like that. So a lot of them either were, you know, were just taken out entirely or some people just lost their jobs altogether. You know, it's just, it was, uh, and, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, this uh, documentary, I think, is going to just show how terrible things were and uh, how terrible things are pretty much in regards to uh, that. And like, it's just, it, it's it is uh, sad. It is so sad when you hear, you know, people saying I couldn't afford to get medical care. I couldn't afford to pay rent. I couldn't afford to feed my family. I couldn't afford anything while you're working at the happiest place on earth, a place that makes billions and billions of, of dollars. dollars. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, it makes tons and tons of money. And it's just, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it's just... It, uh, the problem is that this isn't necessarily exclusively a Disney problem. It's uh, it's a, uh, it's an America problem. Like, you know, like... Uh, I know it's an America problem. I get it. You're right. I mean, we've seen problems like this with Amazon. We've seen problems like this with a whole bunch of other companies. But you wouldn't expect something like Disney would be not um, um you know, like yeah, part of it too I, I kind of i would i would expect it to be like you know it's just it's uh you know uh the fact that you know that they seem to be you know i i you know the, the, there always seems to be money issues in that in in that company for some strange reason even though they're making like you know t- they're turning over like tons of money for whatever reason like you know uh the the, the money just isn't uh, going down to the workforce and uh, it's just it's uh, it's you know we've we've seen we've seen like you know strikes and we've seen like you know uh, you know uh, unionization attempts you know uh, at uh, Disney for a while and uh, it's just it's uh, now people who now go to the Disney parks are now like you know are, are, are you know reporting. That you know, uh, some of the you know people, you know, some staff members there just had enough. In fact, there was, you yeah. know, there was that. I'm sure there was a story that we covered, like you know, about, about a year back when uh, you know uh, Disney uh, cast members were told that they're going to be laid off, and uh, on top of that, they had to like retrain like the people who are going to be replacing them. Like, yes. Uh, yeah. So like you know, some awful business practice, some awful like impl- you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, employee practices have been practices, you know, at Disney Corporation, and uh, you know, I'm sure definitely when um, you know uh, there's going to be even more stories. I think after that, you know, where, when it comes to the animation studio and things like that, like you know, I don't think these, uh, I don't think these are exclusively you know Disneyland Park problems. I think they're also you know uh, within the actual you know, uh, you know, uh, the 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 cogs of the company itself, you know. Oh man, and and to think that a person who is in the Disney family has to bring this up. Well, yeah, it's just this. Uh, and Abigail Disney, she's sort of kind of like been like you know um, pretty you know abstract from like you know the whole the whole the whole Disney scene pretty much. And uh, this is basically her her foray into the uh, in, into this now. And uh, you know, it just it's uh, yeah, again like it's a um, I, I'm, I'm uh, it's kind of hard to say that I'm looking forward to seeing this documentary, but I think it's, it is a story that basically needs to be told. I think uh, for everyone yeah. to realize basically what's what's going on here at, D- at Disney, and uh, hopefully there's going to be something that basically comes that that's something good comes out of it. Basically, I wonder what I wonder what Disney's comments are about like this. I guarantee you they've probably been approached for it. And by the way, this uh, documentary comes out on the 16th of September, so it comes out very it comes out next week. Pretty much. Yeah. So, It'll come out also on digital on September 23rd as well. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, it's... Uh, in fact, I think it already has some uh, reviews on uh, on Ron's Mothers, I've seen. And so, yeah. So, I, so, I guess it makes a lot of sense because, you know, they would have gotten a sneak peek of this anyway. Yeah, they well, yeah, they would have done. So, like, you know, they wanted to get people, like, talking about this. And, uh, yeah, so some of people are saying, does a good job in making a case for workers that are exploited by big corporations. Uh, that's from uh, Movie Reviews by Dan Schwartz. Uh, Corey Wood- Woodruff has said, the American dream and other fairy tales will make you want to write an angry letter to Disney as you see how one of the Uncle Walt's uh, great nieces uncovers the, the shady practices of how the company treats its employees. Wow. Uh, Variety uh, has said that uh, one of the great Uncle Walt's uh, greatest uh, strengths has been the ability to take the complexity of the real world and uh, simplify it to even uh, children could understand. Here, Abigail does the same. So wow, yeah. following in the footsteps, but not in the way that his, his uncle, her uncle, probably would have liked. I don't know. Um, Fred Topel, United Press International, says by the time the viewer reaches the end, uh, one realizes uh, they've uh, learned a lot uh, about economics and labor, as well as how uh, the Disney sausages, the Disney sausages made. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, again, uh, the... and there was also even a clip of um, the the movie in which when uh, Disney was on uh, was in court and they were talking about the importance of raising wages for the workers, the guy said that's socialism. It's um, like, <sighs> yeah, really. 
It really is. So, yeah, so this is going to be a very hard hitting documentary. It comes out next week. And uh, if we, me and uh, Patricia get a chance to watch it, we'll definitely let you know what you think about it. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, we've all been watching a lot of documentaries on Disney uh, since I was in uh, England this summer. We'll be talking about one in a future episode, but this is definitely one that's going to be a major talking point. Definitely. And with that, we sadly have to end what has basically been four hours worth of podcast. So um, thanks to everyone for uh, sticking with us and uh, going through uh, D23 and all the other stuff that's been happening this week. And uh, we basically will be doing it all again uh, come next week. So Yep. All right, take uh, although not as long. Not as long, definitely not. All right, take care, everybody. And we will see you next week for Anna and Patricia. So take care and bye-bye for now. See you later.